Hello, I'm Eagle, Eagle Gardens, Eagle Gardens 1 on Instagram, and this is Fucking Talking Shit with Eagle, episode 365. Hopefully you guys have had an amazing Easter. I had a great day myself, a lot of a lot of eating and quite a bit of sleeping, I hate to confess, but I've got a great guest with us tonight, Phenomenal Genetics, Paul, how you doing? You want to tell us how you're doing and, of course, where we can find you? If they need to find you, good sir. Yes, I'm excellent. Thank you for having me on your show. Phenomenal Genetics. You can find me at phenomenalgenetics.net or phenomenalgenetics3 on Instagram. You can DM me or just check me out on my website. What is that website? It is phenomenalgenetics.net. So uh, I don't know, for some reason, uh, you seem to be a little light on my side on the mic. I don't know. what. All right. There you go. Yeah, I need to speak up a little bit. So you could find me at phenomenalgenetics3 on Instagram or phenomenalgenetics.net is the webpage. Well, I don't know. I, don't, I honestly don't think it was you. As soon as you tapped that phone, that uh, that the mic came on so much better. So I can actually hear you crystal clear now. So all right, I think I just had to speak up and get a little closer. Either way, I'm uh, thankful you can join us tonight, man. Uh, did you have a good holiday? Were you able to uh, get some good eats and all that good stuff? Yeah, it was a really good Easter. My wife cooked Easter. She made ham. I, I worked. I was I'm in the culinary industry. So I was preparing food for, we had a busy Easter to prepare for. So that was fun prepping that and getting that already, some gourmet food and stuff. I was lucky to be able to come home and enjoy it with the family. Most of the team had to stay back and work, you know? But sounds like a good day all around, I guess. Sure. Yeah, it was a great day. I'm getting ready to roll up a little bit of smash cake that I grew from right by a Medgar One MG One. Smash cake. Bring something to smoke on tonight, my friend. See it. This camera is never doing justice. Nice. Why is that? Why? There for a second. I can't ever get a good one. So, what you got there? This jar is some heavy duty fruit gum. It's a cross of heavy duty fruity and uh, bubble gum. Lighting's pretty bad in here. I was just pressing rosin. That's why my fingers are just jammed with. Should have put on gloves. Yeah, I was just breaking up a bunch of herb and uh, sometimes it's easier to throw in gloves, but. Uh, 
I was in a hurry to make some rosin real quick. I don't blame you there. I don't blame you. What kind of press do you have? I had a dab press maybe about a year or two ago. You went quiet again, my friend. I got a dab press. It was, uh, I got it a couple years ago. Works pretty good. I uh, really convinced my wife to get it for me. But yeah. I haven't been there yet. But uh, I know that uh, it's just going to be one of the things that's going to demand more time if I get it. <laughs> got enough on my plate right now. So I guess smoking and bubble hash are good enough. Certainly. You know what I mean? Have you ever used done the dry ice hash method? Uh, once or twice. Uh, it just for me, it's that fine line. I can never get that where it's, you know, nice to extremely extra work. I'm always a little couple beats greedy with it to where it's beautiful, beautiful shit. It's green. <laughs> you know, it's, you know, but you know, for now, it's just been mainly bubble hash with a little bit of dry sift, depending on uh, strain dependent, really, on how well it washes. If it doesn't seem to wash well with me in like a test wash, then uh, I'll run, I'll try to dry sift it. You know what I mean? And that's usually the better route for me. If it doesn't wash well, then I'll, I'll give it a dry run. Nice sift. So let's talk about uh, phenomenal genetics. I was really passionate when I was younger. I'd say about when I was 14, I got into reading a cannabis magazine. It was, I think it was High Times. And I was reading about some guys in Northern California about how they're breeding and stuff. This is when I was just beginning to smoke. And I was just like, yeah, I was thinking about how they were talking about how they breed their seeds, how they select the best genetics for the next year and reading those articles when I first started really sparked my interest and they go I got to learn to do this stuff this is fantastic this is like worth you know these guys are passionate about making their own genetics and making it better so from the very first beginning when I first started I was really passionate about it It seemed like I it seemed like uh, some some of the guys I remember, were, you know, weight and everything. But they talked about mold resistant strains popped out in my mind a lot. So, what uh, strains were you thinking about with the mold resistance? When you, you know, uh, I guess let's let's you know we should kind of just back up and work our way to the 14. So when was your first time? You actually, you had to have a first time that led up to, you know, the the uh, growing aspect of it. So, you know, let's start out with the first time and then we'll work up to, you know, the want to grow there. So let, tell, let's hear about your first experience and then we'll, we'll journey onward to uh, why you wanted to grow. Well, you know, what led you to want to grow? 
have two dads. My, uh, my mom was divorced or divorced from my dad when I was younger. So both, both my dads smoke. And um, I was visiting one of my dads when I was like 13 or so. And he had a pot plant in the backyard. And it was awesome. And he was always blazing in the house. And uh, I just, I think I just grabbed some herb, like a half a joint or something. And went out back and blazed it up. I just wanted to smoke so bad. that I don't think I even got high like it. What he was smoking was like crap. I don't know. It was like, I didn't know if it was good or not. So I didn't really get high that much, but I just had like a taste of it and had a little bit of a buzz. But it seemed like he was smoking like maybe like some shake or something that was just like really low. It didn't really get me high the first time until I was like hanging out with one of my buddies and he packed a bowl with some like really good khaki bud and and we were just ripped. I felt like I was in a cartoon. That was like when I was thirteen. Thirteen? Yeah. That's pretty that that seems pretty average to be honest with you. I think sometimes that uh People say they don't feel that the effect that first time. I don't know if it's quality or if they have a stronger barrier than some people do. And I think that's it. Either the receptors need to be turned, you know, turned on, or you know, a covering needs to be worn off. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, oh, excuse the term, like a cherry has to be popped. You know what I mean? They have to be exposed or turned on. And I think sometimes, you know, that sometimes either they're not turned on or not, you know, exposed that first round, you know. So, I, you know, I think that's the case some, at some point. And I, I kind of appreciate the fact, too, that uh, there's already a plant in the story, which kind of explains a little bit, you know, why there's already a, you know, a yearning at, you know, 14 to one know pursue that grow aspect a lot of it you know a lot of people when they first smoking it like that you know unless they've actually picked up a few high times and they are you know super already passionate they don't even consider the grow aspect of it you know what i mean they usually have to kind of see it and appreciate it a little bit before so that that's partly why i kind of asked for the backup a little bit you know what i mean i can a little bit of an understanding so I'm sorry to interrupt. With 13, you just had a couple of puffs. Let's uh let's move forward, my friend. And uh yeah. That was a good experience to see a big bushy, beautiful plant growing. And one is like, wow, that's awesome to see that growing. And I'll always go inside. My dad say, Hey, why don't you go outside and play? And it'd be just a cloud of smoke inside. So uh, maybe that's why he wanted me to go outside. But yeah, so 13, 14, I was hanging up with my buddies a lot in high school and they had high times. They were bringing high times. to. This was like junior high school, I think. 
Yeah. And my buddy Jordan, his mom was, his mom actually worked in like a prestigious university as like a plant in the plant area. And she could grow any plant. She was in the research lab in the Seattle area. And his dad was like a winemaker. And he had lots of money. Like his parents were filthy rich. And so he was buying these seeds from Amsterdam. And like when he was 14 or 15 years old, autoflowers and just a mixture of all these seeds. And he would pass them to me and say, hey, try these out. Give me a couple seeds here and there. And then I would I actually found my dad's seed stash. And my dad had gone to Amsterdam to study when he was in his like late 20s, like five, 10 years before. It was like a landscape or the whole college class he was studying abroad. So he had like a whole film container full of seeds I found in his drawer. So I grabbed a few of those and my buddy gave me some seeds. And then one of my buddies, another friend, Harley, his dad, he was like, he was a grower and he grew Afghanistan. Af, Af, Afghan weed so he had a few extra seeds and his parents are really cool with him he smoked with his parents at like 14 and his dad was kind of a biker dude and had mass extra seeds and they grew outside so I got a few seeds from him too and all of a sudden at like 14 I had like 20 or 25 or 30 seeds which is a pretty good little start so I was like, okay, if I start them all, I've got to like create some more seeds. I don't want to just start them all and just have some harvest or people catch them. I might lose some because I always read about like, you're going to lose some to an animal going to eat the plant or someone's going to find them. So at 14, I had like three or four fluorescent lights in my room on shelves on right by the window. And then I also had a cubby hole on my wall. And my dad's work was right behind it and it was a big landscape area, huge. So I was able to freaking start a bunch of say, oh yeah, can I use the backyard for gardening, like some corn and beans and stuff and have a little greenhouse? And that's how I got started just gardening to kind of like, oh, I got to start a little garden for the family, beans and corn, potatoes, whatever in the backyard. Cause we had a little bit of the extra space in the landscape area to do that. So then I just had a little greenhouse, small little thing. And that's where I started seeds there and inside to get those going. But uh, yeah. That's when it, I really was like, I need to breed these when I find the males and continue the breeding process. And that was kind of the trigger. It's hard to That's do true. in Washington State. 
pretty insightful at a young age, man. I gotta give you some props on that, man. I wish they would be teaching that kind of stuff more and more at a younger age. You know, they, they're taught a lot of stuff that you can use in life, but not like the basics, you know what I mean? They're basic, you know, learning how to grow things and stuff like that. They should be, that should be right along next to gym or culture, teaching yourself to sustain, you know what I'm saying? I'm glad you were able important. to pick up on that vibe, vibe early on. Yeah, it's one of my major passions is a garden, all sorts of plants. So what would, do you know, you, you sound like you got a wide variety of what you had there to start with, but uh, I mean, so did you start crossing what you had? Did you know what you had? Or did you just, I didn't really just have, randomly like an open pollination? Yeah, in the beginning, it was just like open, make more seeds type deal. Like, I didn't know what my dad had. That, what my buddy gave me was just like, oh, here, take this, this, and this at school. So, no, it was just like a test them all out and, and practice them all and breed them together to make more seeds in the beginning. So I just wanted to continue to have more seeds. It was the first first time. So the first season it snowed. In like the middle of September, a couple inches. And I read like, oh, what am I supposed to do? How do I save these plants? It's like freezing outside. So I put like plastic bags over the buds that had like, they were so small of buds compared to what I see nowadays or what I grow. But I put like little Ziploc bags over the colas just to like protect them from getting snowed on. But yeah, out of all the plants that first time, you know, out of probably 30 seeds, I probably lost like, five or ten of the plants and and ended up with maybe like 20. It was a crazy adventure. My dad found the first spot I had him hidden outside. So then I hit him in a different spot and told him like, oh, my friends came and got them. They're gone. And it was just like, you know, it was like this and then it's one of my someone else find found this one plant off and the one plant went missing. So I think one plant got eaten by a deer. It's always heartbreaking when the fruits of your labor either get destroyed or taken. <clears throat> so it's hard yeah. work just gone. Yeah, it was an adventure though. It was it was it's such a like your first time going out and like, oh my gosh, I have this plant. Who's watching me? It's like, oh, it was like this adrenaline rush going out and like hiding this plant. It was like this biggest deal to me. It's, I bet it still is for a lot of people who go out gorilla, do gorilla growing. I bet it is. It's probably more of an adrenaline rush than anything. So did you happen to notice a difference in that uh, first 
you know, breeding project, I mean, was that the spark that you noticed that a difference on another, you know, on added spark? So when you planted that, you know, that your fruits of your first round there, those seeds, those 20, 30 seeds, when you were able to harvest those plants, were you like, oh, okay, this is a bit of a step up from what I had last round, you know what I mean? Did it, was that kind of another aha moment and kind of keep going with the, the breeding, the crossing of things? It took like two years before I was like, oh shit, these seeds are freaking awesome that I made because I didn't have like the growing space or the ability to rebreed the seeds over and over again. It was like every year <coughs> I was able to make new seeds for like three or four years. even seemed like one year you know there was a year or two that i didn't do breeding i hadn't i didn't do breeding all the way through high school it was like 14 15 and then maybe were the were the first few rounds how how long did you stay outdoors if i could you don't mind me asking like the first two years I was outdoors I'd start them inside and put them outside then I had a a good enough seed stash where I would just take a few from there and start a few outside I wasn't really breeding for a few years until I I would say until I moved out I was like about 20. Once you come indoors there, uh, what was your setup like? Did you you continue like in a soil or did you, uh, you know, uptake in like cocoa? What was that first indoor setup like? My first indoor setup when I was able to like, well, when I did it my first, when I moved out of my house and was able to just grow in my closet, I would just use like soil from the store and get them going inside and put them outside. Nothing sophisticated. But then when I moved to my first house, that was when I was using soil. Yeah, it was pretty much just like organic soil I'd buy at the store with extra perlite, seemed like. Are you still an organic grower to this day? Yeah, I took a break. So I grew organically for a couple years. And then I went to cocoa for like, that was a while. For like maybe five, five or six years. I did like a semi-organic cocoa. It was like cocoa and perlite. A little bit of worm casting. But now I'm going now, just recently I'm going to living soil. It's like a slow transition. I'm, I would say 80% of the pots in my room are are living soil, and I have a few pots that are like organic soil. They're not living soil, but they're the pots are too small to be considered living soil. 
but that's as close to it as possible. It's like the cover crop, the worms, the spider mite eating spiders, eating all the other, you know, the beneficial bugs, the praying mantises. I had those. I employed those in my garden last year. I bought a bunch of packs of those just so my daughter could see them hatch in a jar and then we released them in the room and then they're everywhere. It was really interesting. And then we'd gather them up. How many did you get out of one of the eggs, if you don't mind me asking? I I tried the praying mantis at one time. I bought a couple of things, and I don't think they ever even opened up again. I got them at the store, and they're like four or five bucks a piece. And it seemed like there's like hundreds of them, like five or six hundred or something, at least. Maybe a couple hundred. I put it in a jar with like a breathable top and I put it in the grow room in like the warmest spot. And it took like a week until they hatched. So would you say they work better than the ladybug as far as the IPO? So when you call those places and you ask them about the bugs... And you start asking about ladybugs, they're kind of like, what, you want to murder ladybugs? And I'm like, they're like, oh, that's unsustainable. Like, you're just raping the lady. And I'm just like, well, there's people who have them, like, all attached over their houses and stuff. I've got them before and, like, out, you captured them and just threw them in the room. But, like, when I try to order them, they seem like, it's such a bad thing to get them. Like, why do you want to get, like, we don't have those ladybugs at the moment. They're out of season and blah, blah, blah. They cost a whole bunch for shipping. But I've gotten them at the store before and used them. But it seemed like they die in, like, a week. Like, they'll fly up towards, unless you have your HPS, like, completely covered. It seems like they'll fly up to the bulb and, like, burn, like, almost burn out on them. If you have your HPS bulb all covered, but I have one HPS that goes, moves in my room back and forth, and they draw into that. But I think they were good for like a greenhouse or indoors if you have LED lights. And I, I like them. I've got them before. I don't think it's a problem buying ladybugs and letting them go. But I've tried to order them and they wouldn't let me order them. Like they just seem like they're out and it was not worth buying. I had pretty good luck with them myself. You're right. If if you don't kind of like bait them in, sounds like you got to do the same as you do with the praying medicines there. You got to kind of just set them loose in a side environment, kind of keep them happy in there and let them adventure out on their own. But moreover than that is uh, you were counting on that, that laying of the eggs I found with the, you know, the ladybugs. 
them adults will eat so many they'll try to venture off like you say and die but that when they first you know release and that uh eggs hatch them babies man they do almost 100 times the work as a, uh, an adult ladybug and they stay around a lot longer because they don't fly so you can actually set them up to where they're you know constantly laying eggs and they've got a nice cycle going in your environment sometimes it takes a few releases of the ladybugs to get that you know laying of the eggs around your room in different spots to keep them you know a permanent part of your environment but a lot of people it's that one and done and they get frustrated because you know they set them loose and then they're crawling on the back of their neck you're watching them fly up into the lights like you say and it's but it, and they get, they get frustrated. They instantly think, "Well, this ain't worth the shit." I just watched half of them die, and again, it can be you know up and down how long they've been sitting in your you know grocery store. But, you know they're pretty effective if if you can keep that you know repeating you know cycle going. They they're pretty effective in that way. But I can see how some people would get discouraged. Have you ever mixed ladybugs and mantises? Would they eat each other now? Would the mantises go after the ladybugs or? I don't know. Like they seem like they'd be a tasty treat for them in the larvae stage like that. You know, it's a funny, you might hear a funny little story. <laughs> is uh related to the ladybugs. It's um I was just starting to learn about the ladybugs and I was setting them loose in my environment. I thought it was a good idea. I'm like, oh yeah, fucking, I don't want to spray. And I was keen to the idea of, you know, setting, them, setting out natural pests, natural predators. And so I had to set ladybugs loose a few times and was like to the point where I just spoke of you. Ah, this is bullshit. They all flew away. I give up. Okay. And then all of a sudden, I see these fucking little, they look like little fucking alligators almost with like little red stripes on their backs. And I am fucking panicking. I am fucking panicking. I take a shot of that. I get it on the fucking forums, which way back when was the date then. And I'm like, <laughs> What in the fuck is this? Is my fucking, you know what I mean? Great. What is this? This is, you know, I've never seen this. And somebody was like, ah, relax. That's a fucking baby ladybug. You know what I mean? I, it just looked so early in the stage. You never, never would have thought, you know, if the ladybug was the next step. But they fucking had me fucking freaked out, man. I'm like, thought I had some new fucking predator and shit. I'm like, oh, great. What the fuck? Wow. I was ready to run to the fucking grocery store and buy a bunch of shit. Then somebody was like, ah, you dumbass. That's what you want. That's what you want right there. <laughs> So what uh, strains do you got going in the garden at this point? You know, a uh, few years in, second, what, you picked up now, at uh, took a break, and now you're starting back up. Uh, I'm 40 now. You, uh, 
and I pretty much started growing constantly and breeding since I was about 20. So I got my seeds started when I was like 14, kind of tested them out, played with them a few years here and there. And I started buying more seeds when I was like 20, just buying them from like Nirvana Seed Company and all these making friends that have great clones and and shopping around and just like really getting in and growing. And I was like, I'd say 21, like increasing every year, wanting to make my grow bigger and better and, and uh, learn about all the different strains. So after learning about all the, like just growing all types of strains and, uh, like pretty much finding out like Barney's farm, I think is one of my favorite seed companies that we are getting our seeds from. And DNA genetics. Mr. Nice seeds. Those were my favorites. What are back you sourcing out of there? Soft good, some good breeders, good stock. Yeah. So we sourced freaking purple dog shit was one of my favorite that I located out of think Barney's farm that I wanted to breed with out of all the freaking me and my buddies we bought a bunch of strains, you know, purple cotton candy, purple dog shit. Purple Afghu, Sour Diesels, like Gorilla, all sorts of um, everything you could think of, it seemed like back in the day. So let me ask you this, because I I did the same thing back in the day. So what made you choose, was it are you pulling, trying to pull strains you've already heard of, or what make what's making you choose what you choose? You know, because it's a big gamble. You know what I mean? You, so that you, was the you're thing. Risking your cash, you're risking if they show up. You know what I mean? And you're risking the quality. That so was the one thing I, that we had problems with the most. Is like. When I grew, it'd be like there'd be some strains that would get powdery mildew like crazy. You know, we'd have like four or five strains in the room and there'd be maybe one strain that didn't get it at all. And it was like, well, it's not the freaking condition. Well, it could be bad conditions, but why did this plant not get it and everything else got it? So that would be like, I would be like, that's the one we're going to work with. I, I don't want any of these plants to be bred. Like these, they're good. They There's some great freaking product coming off these plants but it's not that good i want the plant that doesn't have any powdery mildew that's powdery mildew resistant or that could survive a snowstorm and just keep on growing so that's what i would look for uh, when we just grow all these different types of plants i noticed that a lot is and there'd be sometimes plants would get spider mites and there'd be like one, one plant in a group of plants that didn't get any spider mites. Like it was 
bug resistant or the bugs didn't want that flavor of plant. No, I found that interesting. And also I wanted to breed that, that profile into genetics. And that was a purple cotton candy that I noticed that spider mites didn't want to get on. I don't know if anyone's ever heard of purple cotton candy and that bug's not wanting that strain. I think it was the plant structure or just the turf profile, turf profile uh, that they didn't want. It was the plant for sure. Yeah, I think it was think it, just like the turf defense. They didn't like the smells. Was it, you know, an obvious difference with the, the purple candy? Excuse me. With any particular plant that uh, stood out from the rest? I mean, was that strain like completely different as far as turf profile? It was a sweeter plant to me, uh, flavor-wise. But it grew next to two other plants where they're like pretty much powder, like uh, spider mites on them. They had powdery mildew on them, and that plant was resistant to the mites. Like they didn't crawl on it. So that was. And then we retested that plant again. We put that plant outside where other plants had spider mites and they didn't go on that plant. So that was like, okay, we're going to breed this plant. So what were you uh, crossing with uh, at that point? Just random males still basically at this point? Yeah. At that point, I just crossed pretty much. um, I got into bubble gum. I picked up a clone of bubblegum at a cloner's market from an old, from an old school guys and uh, tried it out. And it was the most sweetest flavored plant. And it smelled like the old school big league chew bubblegum. And the structure was nice. It didn't grow really tall, grew stocky. It liked to bush out. And that's one of the strains that I pretty much ran with. That one didn't have any powdery mildew either. That one was put freaking outside in the mass cold where other plants didn't like it. It survived freaking 90% humidity for a week. Didn't get any mold on it. It was tested so hard in other in indoors, outdoors, in just shitty grow rooms, and it did fantastic. So I just multiplied that bubble gum and bred that hard on a lot of old school strains that were like, okay, I thought, what are the favorite strains I liked in like 99, 2000, 2001? I was thinking like 10 years back. I was like, what are those old school strains that I love that are going to be hard to find? And then I want to, I want to, wanted to breed all those old school strains like Alaskan Thunderfuck, um, like the Northern Lights, the freaking, 
All good ones right there. All good ones. So I, I can't help but notice that, uh, you know, you said the purple strain that you initially noticed, the resistance with the mites and the mold, you said that was like a sweeter strain. <clears throat> and also, again, with the, the bubble gum, which is known for like a real sweetness taste to it, you know, a sweet turpy uh, flavor to it. So, do you think that's part of the underlying resistance pattern, or you know, the sweeter strains do have more of a bug defense than, uh, you know, say some of the gasier ones? I don't know. I think that's weird. I wonder if it's a certain spider mite that has a certain appetite at that time, or but I think there's something else in the plant that it might not be the sweetness it might be the terpenes that we can't really sense or taste that the bugs it might be a pepper that they taste but we think it's sweet or an onion flavor that we can't detect or something is there any strains that you've found that are bug resistant that you could put a plant with spider mite right on it and it won't go on it Uh, unfortunately, no. You know, I've only dealt with uh, spider mites a few times, aphids a few times. I tried my best to stay on it to where, you know, it's not like a pandemic to where it's like, okay, that one. But no, I, uh, I can't say. The one time I had the spider mites, the worst time I had the spider mites, I got that shit right from a friend. They asked me to run some material and I had to like tuck it in my room for a second because I had somebody from law enforcement that was coming over for an uncannabis related uh, visit. I was actually building some cabinets and I didn't want it to smell so I took the what, what the, my friend brought me I put it up in my flower room right next to the fucking uh, the filter, thinking that'd be a good spot. Well, unbeknownst to me, the bag was full of spider mites. That's why he chopped his shit down. And he got out of the section before I noticed it. And uh, what a mess. What a mess. So, yeah, that was my first and worst. It, at that point, I just took everything out of it. Stupid enough to spray late licking ladybug. Well, it was still early, you know, four or five, but still, like, I was, I always felt guilty about spraying it flowers. But no, they say you can spray up to the day of sink to the hard day of harvest. I always wonder about that guarantee. So, spider mites breathe like humans, right? They have to breathe oxygen. If someone had spider mites in their room, couldn't they just fill the room with mass CO2 to like 2,000 parts per million for 12 hours? I couldn't tell you. Even like five or six hours, you'd think they would just suffocate and die, but their eggs would still be there. Very true, very true. So, right. It's a terrible experience. 
so it was always a struggle when I was growing, when I was like 25 or something, when I was growing with buddies and, uh, they didn't want it. They didn't want to see me do any breeding or, or, uh, anything. They just wanted to pump out mass product and not, and not, uh, breed. And I was like, no, that's, it's like really important to me. So, um, yeah, that was always like on my mind, like, all right, I'm taking one of these plants out and moving into this room to breed with or moving it outside to pollinate with. And they're always laughing at me, like, why are you doing that stupid stuff? Like, no one's looking for seeds right now. And it seemed like that on the market, too. Everyone was, it was all about clones. It was a big cloner's market. It was big medical there was no one really, there were seeds, but they seemed like most people were selling them from California or Europe or Spain or it wasn't a local thing. But I was like, yeah, well, I don't know why people aren't selling seeds. I'm going to be as soon as I freaking make some really good process and get all these strains. So I was like, back then I was going for one of my favorite was like Northern Lights. Uh, cheese quake. strawberry haze like blackberry kush like blueberry cheese quaker uh, oh there's another good one northern light cheese quake uh, blueberry are definitely ones that pop off for me Mr. Nice Strains were, I really like Mr. Nice Strains too. Have you grown, what's if some of your favorite um, genetics that you've popped? Well, I got locked in with, uh, for a long time with the TGA tester program there. So I you know, kind of got pulled to hanging in with just those genetics for many years. Before that, you know, I did. I was the same thing, but a little bit of Barney's Farm, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. It was just more strain names. It wasn't, you know, breeder dependent. But you know, some of my favorites throughout the years. Again, I have to be right there with you with Cheese Quake, Crazy Twain, uh, some of my other favorites. So. I can't even think right now. Somebody, somebody. Oh, damn! I'm total brain fart right now. Oh, I can't even. This is the uh, dragon. I can't even believe I met Red dragon. Dragon, you said, yeah. Red dragon. Wow, I can't believe I stumbled that long. Red dragon, uh, white widow, uh, the white rhino was good back then. Yeah. Um, the blueberry well, white rhino, I've heard about a story about someone had a blueberry white rhino mother plant around for 25 years. And when they gave me the cut, they said, don't lose this cut. It's been around for 25 years. And I lost it. I was so man. upset at myself. When I was young and I just like, I think I bred it into something. And then I popped those seeds to test it out. Still laughing at myself for having the fucking brain fart like that. It's, 
Jeez. It hasn't been that long a day. It hasn't been that long. I have smoked quite a bit of weed too. Lavender Coast is a good one there. Major shout out to them. Dominatrix from uh, Empire Seaco is a good one. Like I said, Danny Mays. Uh, yeah, I've grown up quite a few. I can't believe I had such a brain fart there. I always do kind of a little bit though, because it's hard out for just single one i run them for a little bit and keep moving on for me it's always been about that quest of trying to find that next new one not necessarily chasing what what is hype what's current you know what i mean i don't have that that bond it's always run them this one's good but i want to move on to what's next even now man i i'm still i a year ago, I wiped out 20 streams and started to do. You do. Well, we're limited by numbers. So you can't. To me, that one is only as good as what you got in the cart. You can always think this one's bad. Ah, this one's great. This one's great until you pop the next seed. And then you're like, wow, this one kicks that one's ass. I don't even know why I like that one. And you'll never know <laughs> that experience unless you keep moving forward. So I try not to get too attached to a lot of shit that's in the card. It's good, it's good, but is it the keeper for me? I haven't found not that one that just completely annihilates me. The only one strain I've come to that close was one of the probably fourth fourth one in was OG Kush I grew. And that shit taught me a lesson on monocropping, to be honest with you. Because that shit was crippling. Crippling. You know, I was stuck. I had ran 32 plants of it that run. And that shit was just gassy, crippling couch lock weed for me. And so I'd go work, come home, fuck around the garden, whatever. Join or two into that and I'd be done for the day. I didn't want to do shit, man. Honestly, couldn't wait to get through that, you know, batch that I had off because I couldn't get shit done. I couldn't get shit done. That that taught me, man. Next round, I got to mix it up some. I just cannot be you know, crippled for another two, three months until, you know, I can get something else. In. So, yeah, after that, that, that run right there, I learned to mix things up a little bit because... I wanted that still real strong shit, but I knew I couldn't have that real strong shit all the time. So, and with that, you know, it's never ending. It's never ending. Just keep running. Try this, try that. Keep it around for a while. I've never found that one. Other than, and even the OG I look back on, but now I look back on, I think, does it compare to some of the shit that's out now? It's, I don't know. If they would hold up the same. Yeah, I'm into this new. There's one strain that I don't know if it's hype, but it's a kind of it's Gelato 33 crossed with Acapulco Gold. So it's kind of like a new, you know, Gelato's kind of new, kind of hypey, but Acapulco Gold is classic, old school, right? So it's kind of a new new school classic, right? I'd say. 
And that, that is thriving. I mean, this planet is like just huge. And then I got value of the aliens. That is just huge. All these new strains that have been popping are just freaking uh, like just monster plants. Like the, the stems are like sharp, the st- thick as Sharpies. And they're just like, you know, two feet tall super stocky monstrous plants and i'm going to be breeding uh, some of those that'll be fun how long have you been growing out the alcapaco gold there this is my first run of it first run of the 33k alcapaco gold someone breeded it for me and then I got the seeds from them. What's the turf profile on that? I don't know. This is the first time running it, so I'm kind of testing it out. It's just flowering now. It's like a week in the flower. I have one in my greenhouse outside. In my greenhouse, I have a big plant that's blackberry bubblegum haze it's gonna it's like a 12-week plant it's in week three or four and i'm hoping that's not too late to pollinate but i have valley of the aliens male in there it's gonna be like a jerry springer who's your daddy seed batch on this plant it's gonna be like a crazy hunt on this plant because I'm going to have like four or five males hit this one female plant. So you're already working outdoors in the greenhouse? Yeah, I have a small greenhouse. It's those ones that are overnights there. It's, It's too freezing cold. It was like freezing like a week ago. And it wasn't even a sealed greenhouse. It was like a hoop house. So some of the plants were like, ah, way too cold. So I I ordered some plastic and and sealed it all in. So it's not completely sealed, but it's like 99. So a little bit of air could flow in, but it's pretty much encapsulated. It needs to be warmer. I wish I could put a heater out there at night. But it's going to be a What's bunch the of temperatures that you've seen the plants be able to take and, and stand by. In I, a, so, in a like, area. so bubblegum, I've had a plant of bubblegum that's a really weak plant, a foot tall clone, really thin, thin stem, a little dainty little plant that's a foot tall and a little two gallon pot fabric pot put outside and it freezed at like you know 30 degrees the plant was frozen all the way through almost let's say almost frozen the top two inches of the soil were frozen like the roots were damaged and it was like totally stressed out to the maximum and i noticed that and she was almost dead so i grabbed her and brought her in but that was just a, that's what that bubblegum strain could take. It could take the cold. 
I grew a bubblegum herb back in the day that was like super, it tasted like bubble yum, like the chewing gum. It was super <laughs> gummy and I always tasted great. I ran it about four runs and I get just faded out. I, but I've always wanted to go back to it. You know, I always miss that flavor. That's a different profile. It's tougher to get nowadays. And it stands out. You know what I mean? That's another thing that I've noticed uh, throughout the years is, you know, people, if you give people the chance, you know what I mean, to like blindly test themselves take away that fucking number, you know what I mean? That everybody likes to put so much emphasis on these days. Strip all that shit aside. All that shit aside. You can put fucking 10 jars of your cookies and all your 30, 30 plus THC strains up there. Mix them in with 10 other super terpy Put bubble gum up there, fucking put some fucking nice orange, a nice orange strain up there, something with a little berry to it. You know what I mean? Something that catches the nose that's off from them high gas, you know, high number strains. I bet you those terpy jars empty out every time. You, you strip down the numbers and just hand people jars, smell this. Smell this, smell this. I'm willing to bet those turpy jars empty out first every time. Every time. That's my experience, anyways. You know, oh, yeah. Numbers of flavor. Oh, yeah. Those flavors that are like, oh, tropical and free and just like, wow, that smells delicious. Something you want to eat or just like. smells that people have never smelled before coming from flowers that are just yeah those are some of the flavors that i search for as well when i breed i'm like i love those flavors you no know, one of my i used to love too because again it's never been a bore about the money for me when i've been you know taking care of patients so when they hit them jars and i see that face you know what I mean? I love to go, like, hey, pop out another. There you go. Go try that shit. Come on. Because you know they'll be, you know what I mean? You'll know they'll enjoy that and come back. So it's like, hey, it's fine. Go, go try that. I know I knew it yet. So go try that. Diamonds, purpley, the smelly, the freaking fruity flavors, I think, are the fave. It definitely knows they they definitely add something to the nose. You know, for me right now it's the pines. The pines I'm really fond of. Still enjoy the gas. The pines and cones. I can get them. Still the ones you can't have, I guess. <laughs> They're coming. They're coming. I got a few pines. How about papaya? Have you heard of anyone growing amazing papaya? Not uh, lately. I mean, it's definitely a turf down in the Flint area that they've got going around. I see it a lot in the extracts. But uh, I do my garden. 
I would say the red dragon had a pie or a papaya term to it. That's one of the things I enjoyed about it that was in the that uh, flavor profile. It was very distinct. And the red dragon was fruity, real fruity. It was just a beautiful flower, had those dark red hairs and a nice leg green butt. It was just yeah. Other than that, for myself, that would be my only papaya strain. But down the Flint area, it's hard to say because every extract that I see is just kind of labeled like that. Papaya, apple fritter, cherry. They don't necessarily tell you what's in there, you know what I'm saying? Just what they pick up on seems to be the labeling process now. So, what's up, current on the menu for uh, for your seat? Currently, we have bubblegum fruit, which is heavy-duty fruity crossed with bubblegum. That one is about it. It gets ripe at like eight, I'd say nine weeks or ten weeks. But then, if you don't harvest it, it continues to keep growing. Like, you ever have those plants where if you don't harvest it, kind of foxtails a little more and keeps growing? The buds keep growing, getting bigger, and like having new growth. So, you could harvest half the plant and watch the other plant get a little bit riper and riper and riper. That's the one thing I learned about that plant, which is really interesting. I don't know if it's because I changed the environment a little bit in my room or what, but. She seems yeah, awesome. Sometimes it is, uh, it's like a heavy feeding late flower kick up that I've noticed that second stage of growth. If you don't pull back with the, the nitrogen, she will kind of keep pushing forward. So that sounds like a good one. Uh, quick, a quick flip sounds like uh, eight weeks to write. Mm hmm. Now, when you say ripe, is that uh, what what trichome percentage are you looking at there? More clear to uh, cloudy, you know, with the or cloudy with like the all cloudy and like twenty five percent amber, roughly. Good, good description. Do good description of ripe, and I like the term ripe versus you know harvest. Because I'm actually right there with you, you know. I prefer to let the bud ripen. And that's a good, good word. I appreciate that. Because that's when you get to that stage that you're talking about, all cloudy, with about 25 percent. That's when the buds actually swelled to it's probably about its peak, in my opinion. You know, you start going to, you know, cl uh, clear, cloudy with just one or two ambers there. You, you've kind of whole fucked yourself on a little bit extra weight there, a little bit more density, you know, you, if you wait, if you wait a little bit more density, bigger buds. It's like the lower branches are getting riper. You know, I like to, sometimes I'll just take half the plant when half the lower branches and wait the other half plant when it's a little bit riper. 
It seems like that to me. I heard on someone who was talking on the radio or a podcast somewhere, they said, yeah, you just take the top half of the plant and let the lower half ripen. I'm like, that's opposite for me. My lower plants usually riper quicker. Maybe because it doesn't get as much light or it's getting, that's that's the, my experience is the, the lower branches ripen quicker. That would make sense because the not struggling to get the light, so it's less light, less, you know, shorter days for the, the lower so what else we have on the menu is we have this old school northern lights that came out of what i think it's northwest area northern lights crossed with uh bog bubble bog uh, that's like a bubble bubble gum strain from bog and then we also have cheese cheese quake crossed with fruit punch We have orange bubble kush, which is orange stack kush crossed with bubble gum. Strawberry gorilla, which is strawberry gorilla four. Our this is gorilla green number four with strawberry haze. It's amazing. We have this one called Bubble War God. This is like a super hashy plant. It's a bubble gum, bubble gum crossed with God of War. And then Blackberry Bubble, Blackberry Kush crossed with bubble gum. It's like a blackberry bubble gum haze, pretty much. It's the one I'm going to breed in the greenhouse and do a no one ever does this. They there's a lot of people who want to buy packs, but you know each pack is like people want a ten pack or whatnot. But what about variety packs? Do you think people would ever want a variety pack? Like this this plant gets crossed with five males, and you get thirty seeds for whatever price, fifty bucks or something. That way, someone who is just starting out could have a variety of seeds, and then you could have the list of here's the mother, and here's all the males, and you get to decipher what it is. There's no really knowing, but it's you'll have a variety of these crosses. I think that would be interesting for some people. I'm fucking so guilty. Somebody was just on the other night, kind of. Yep. Mendo dough. It's fucking Mendo dough. That was talking about uh, doing a similar uh, idea like that. Uh, yeah, very that's similar a great idea to that. They're great. Mendo dough. That's a great idea. Those guys are awesome. Yeah, they were uh, pretty good. That was a pretty good episode. Uh, that was just like two weeks ago they were on the show.
Yeah. And then we tropical face mask is pineapple flan crossed with bog bubble. That's another one we have. Bubble sky coat. Yeah. When he died, just like everything else, I had a few of his seeds backed up and I threw some of them down, but they were like, they were pretty old. He's 10 years old. None of them uh, germinated. So I was kind of bummed about that. But it is, it's one of the ones I was really hoping would take off too. So yeah, it's a good backbone there. Glad you're running it and using it for. Yeah, I have it as a mother. I'm going to keep it for a long time. I love it. It's just like I had a weird feeling when he passed away. I was like, man, I'm going to keep this mother. I I couldn't believe he passed away. You know, rest in peace. He's a fantastic grower. Yeah. Appreciate you guys throwing them links up in chat. Greatly appreciate you. GMO, we just 207 throwing them links up. Yeah, appreciate it very much. There's this one strain that I created that seems pretty crazy. It's called Early Citron Kush. And... Um, That's created from early ghost shit, which is purple dog shit crossed with ghost train haze. And I only got like 10 seeds of fire. That ghost train. That was one that was like, okay, this would be like the, we talked about me and my buddies back in the day, what would be the best genetics that we were running would be like the best and we said those would be the best everyone was like yeah that'd be the best fucking cross i think because everyone was in the gas back then seemed like 10 years ago it's just like what was the gas super fire and that was yes really faded that far still quite the demand for the games still awesome yep but yeah, that one it was a a plant that I planted and it flowered super early, super quick, like finishing outdoors in the end of August. Like what it almost like a semi autoflower to it. I don't know. So we called it early girl ghost shit. That's. And I kept, I keep that around. That's like one of my strains that I want to breed with. Um, that I want to breed a lot onto. Put a lot of males so on the, there. With the outdoor season on us right now, is there some strains that you have or suggest that would be great for the outdoor season?
would go with the the blackberry bubble gum. Is a great strain for outdoors. I have that, and it grows awesome outdoors. Um, Melon girl ghost poop. Melon girl ghost poop is would be a killer one to run outside because that's the early girl ghost shit crossed with melon mosh pit. And that would flower super early. They both flower early, the melon mosh. And the, the they're both really too early flowering strains. So I think they'll flower super early outside for those northern latitudes. Anything like anything with early, early citron kush, that's the one I'm going to be running outside. I'm, I have it outside right now, and it's going to flower. And uh, it's a really small plant, but we'll see how it does. It's too early, I think, for me, most people in Washington to go outside, unless you have a greenhouse or supplemental lighting, because if you put it outside right now, it's just going to flower. But that's... It's okay. I'll just have them flower and see how they perform and get some seeds off them in the greenhouse. Yes, but they got, they still have some time to uh, order up some seeds and get them started. <laughs> that's why, that's why I'm asking. So next run, I'm expecting a whole bunch of autoflowers to come in. I ordered a whole bunch of autoflowers from a, a bunch of different people. And, uh, those will be in the ground in probably a month, I would say, in the greenhouse. And um, by the time those are towards the end of their flower, the other plants will be moved out. And those will be feminized with the colloidal silver. I'm going to probably pick a few of them to be feminized. So the few will be males. And uh, and go from there and make a bunch of autoflower seeds. I might just do one male to keep it organized. Just pick one male out, one male auto. And pollinate that one male to all. Or they're all female, I think, autoflower. So I'm going to have to reverse one. And make one male, like spray the colloidal silver. Have you ever done that before? Oh, no. I haven't ventured down that road yet. I was just asking because I've just started doing it in the last couple of years. No, 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 no. Up until uh, recent, testing has been my main, my main focus you know what I mean as far as making it the seeds recent last few years and just half-heartedly you know what I mean you know up till this point you know it's been you know flower has been my my main focus to waste and that's a terrible term not to waste space but uh, to utilize space for just seed production would have been crazy for me uh the way I work things here. Too small of space. 
even with the breeding project I've taken on or agreed to with this DOA strain, I'm kind of wondering where I'm going to flower or, you know, seed these two girls up without risking the patient flower. You know what I mean? I actually had a light leak the last time and had to, you know, pass out some flour that had a little bit of seed in it. I tried to keep as much, I tried to keep as much of it to myself as possible, but there was still some that got out there. I got a few seeds out of this and after compensation for, you know, the seed or they wanted to keep them, whatever. But uh, yeah, it's terrible when you have to pass on <laughs> some CD medicine to the patient there, you know. So, sorry about that. So, yeah, I, I try to stay away from most kind of pollination here. And I, to be honest with you, as far as that goes, I've had, only tried the autos a couple of times and had terrible, terrible with autos. And that one was early, early on, and one was like last year, and it was like, eh, I didn't. <laughs> that's the funny part funny little story about that i figured autos were kind of already simple down to that point to where yeah they would just you know drop them and forget about them basically throw them in a corner water them whatever you know 24 hours light and then i threw them down and somebody well, a few days later just as they were coming up to you know breaking ground they were like you know you're gonna have to sex those in a few days and i was like what <laughs> for reals <laughs> yeah 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 yeah. that's a rug pack and i'm like oh that's a fucking cool joke right there really <laughs> so yeah it ended up being you know there was eight of them five of them were fucking mate turned out to be male the other three i kind of i don't know if i just kicked them to the side or whatever but they didn't they didn't do maybe over water even, but yeah, I, I, I didn't, they didn't even flower. I ended up pulling them out of the, I just gave up shortly thereafter. I was like, hey, fuck this it's wasting my life. It's supposed to be extra. Now it's just wasting my life. But again, I'm not knocking them. I see a lot of people crush them, crush them with autos these days, especially up in Canada outdoors, man. Seen a lot of good stuff outdoors and processing that stuff for hash. That's another would be my next question. Do you have some uh, good strains that are good hash strains that you've noticed? That's very important these days. Extract guys want that, you know, terpy, super good extract uh, flower. You have something that's uh, good for extracts. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the bubblegum fruit. Just heavy WD fruit across the bubble gum. That's great for extract. I haven't done a lot of pressing of this stuff, so I'm still learning about people are like, oh, the terpene head has to be this long one and, and juicy at the top. And um, I'm thinking... Some plants aren't good for pressing is what I've heard. And some plants are fantastic. I know I've pressed the bubblegum fruit and it presses really nice through the press. 
and I've had some where I've mixed it all up and it seems like it's not as good return. But I know I've heard people say anything Gorilla Glue press is good. But I haven't, I'm not the expert at pressing, so I wish I could press all these and know, really. But I'm pretty sure the early Citron Kuss is the, will put out good terps. It should press good. But there is a, there is, you know, there is a type of size of trichome that presses perfectly, I guess. Some of them are round and small and they don't press right or flow when they press is good. I've been more of a flower connoisseur. Guys would say it depends on the medium. The organics can probably bigger, oily heads press better. So I'm willing to bet every organic roller chair. I think the bubble war god is that's a hashy plant too. I know that it tastes like hash. You touch it and it sticks to your fingers. When you look at it, the trichomes are fucking huge and long and coming off. That one, I know that one would press good just from, it just seems like that's a hash plant. The, the war god, anything like god kush, god, that god strain used to have trichomes all over the, every part of its stem, it seems like, when I grew it outside at my dad's house in organic soil. But it didn't grow the same indoors. It grew nice and big, but in lushy. But then when I put it in my dad's soil, it was like the trichome started just building up on all the stems that came off with all the leaves and every part of it almost. So have you bred some of the same strains indoor and outdoor and noticed the difference in uh some of the stuff. Yeah, I've done all these strains outdoors. And I've done them um, all indoors. And I noticed the early Citron Kush does way better outside. The Melon Girl Ghost Poop does way better outside. Some of them do do way better outside, like they want the sun. The buds grow twice as big outside. Like they're just well, not used necessarily, to uh, grown outside. The question is more uh, have you bred like they bred that strain outdoors? And yeah, that same strain indoors, you know what I mean? It had two different seeds oh. died where you notice, you know, this one was more rich in this terpene outdoor bread, and this one was different, you know. Indoor bread, it was more pronounced with a different terpene profile. Have no, I haven't or done anything like that. That's what I'm noticing right now with living soil. It seems like the seeds are huge. The seeds are the biggest seeds I've ever produced. I've, I've ever seen in my life. Some seeds even seem to have a, like a third side to them. Like you could almost like they're just huge. I mean, I should get one out, but uh, 
how many runs in the living soil? It's only been like two, two or three runs, like a year or less than a year. I was kind of working with it a year ago and I'd say I'm doing it harder and harder now. But it's hard to like, still I do a lot of organic. It's organic growing in the bedroom until it's into the flower room. Then it's more of like the living, living soil finish. Just so are you letting, uh, how long are you letting them go from one to the other? So after that transplant, how long of a bed before you uh, let it, you know, set in there a week, two weeks, do you let it, you know, kind of adapt from one to the other before you flower? It all depends. Sometimes I, from cloned to, no, it's like a month. Sometimes I'll veg it for a month because then I'll just, my bedroom is really cold, but in a little bit warmer, it'll start to be quicker as soon as it warms up. But yeah, I'll, I'll get a clone. Once it clones, it'll take a few weeks, a couple, like two weeks to clone. And then once I clone, it, it'll be like a week or two in a small pot and then into a larger pot. It'd be like a one gallon from a clone, it'll go to a one gallon pot for like two weeks, and then they'll go to maybe a two two or three gallon pot for two or three weeks, and then it could get bonsai, bonsai and super cropped and pulled down or whatnot, and kind of beefed up and then moved into the bloom room when there's room sometimes they'll be in the veg for a month and a half or two months just to get them big and bonsai out depending on the strain i've had plants in there vegging for like two months now that are just big bonsais and then i take clones off those and i'm just waiting for a little bit of room to move them in or the weather to be nicer out in the greenhouse to move them in, but it's still flower season in the greenhouse unless I threw a light in there. It's kind of a... I got one like, of these girls behind me that are like... Yeah, see, it's, she's pretty good size there. I got one in the tent back there, I think. I've yet to try a, a full-on roll in the outdoors. I snuck couple that I've had successfully you went outdoors for me. Girls that uh, I wanted to save, basically. <clears throat> so I'd take them out and let them rebudge somewhere out. This was funny, too. Back early in medical stage when I first got my license, terrified of the cow. I would, like, hide some. Ah, go, go take a plant that I really wanted to keep. I just like go throw her out the woods somewhere and let her rebudge. You know what I mean? So it wasn't, it was, it was kind of, it kind of in the library, but not in the library. You know what I'm saying? If she rebudged and made it, made it through, it was like, yes, 
But you know what I mean? If it didn't, yeah, in fact, I got one right here. Same thing. Ah, she's got that's it's that same same type of situation. You know what I mean? Do I take her out, throw her somewhere? Perfect time of year, just another week or so. It should be warm. And if that's the case, you know what I mean? She can survive, then I can take a couple cuts off her, dip her in some sulfur, you know, make bring them in, quarantine for a bit. I've got that string back, you know what I mean? And then let that girl just keep on going out in the outdoor environment, clean her up a little bit, just let her keep chugging along. So I've had a couple of those type of outdoor harvests, but I've got a lanky bitch that's in that tent back there that I kind of, I didn't train. She's kind of tall, a little ugly, but I'm thinking about taking her outside soon because shit, she's three and a half feet tall right now. <laughs> and it's getting warm enough now to where I could probably throw her outside at some point. That's why I was kind of feeling you out a little bit on the bottom side of, you know, what have you seen get cold and still be able to veg out there because I'm about ready to take her because it's a good strain, but do I want to like keep her in the count? You know what I mean? She's way too tall to try. Like say something like that. That girl right there. And even there's one even a little further back. You can see on the back by the punching bag. She's, you know, four foot tall. I can still bend her over, you know what I mean? Manipulate it you know, flatten her out, tabletop or kind of a taller version of this right here. You know what I mean? Just up and flatten out and clean everything out and still be able to manipulate her indoors. But that one I'm talking about ain't worth all that. You know what I mean? She's, she'd be perfect to take outside, bury down somewhere. And she makes it, she makes it, she don't, she don't. But it'd be a hell of a start on an outdoor plan. You know what I mean? Shit, if she does make it, she's going to be a fucking tree. <laughs> so I'm willing to throw her outside and see what happens versus just killing her off. I just kill it off. You ever do any of that same thing? Kind of maybe just talk something in good faith and hope she comes back and Know, comes back your way so you can get another chance at it. Yeah, I have. That reminds me of those really tall, lengthy strings. I had a strain like that last year that was in a pot and it wanted to lay down almost. It was like a creeping vine or something like. It's weird. But yeah, I like throwing plants outside to test them in the cold weather in the spring. Well, to and me, it's not necessarily a test as like it is like that Hail Mary save. You know what I mean? Sometimes you'll do better in the sun. Good. I like it. It's like one of those ones that's like it was right on the it's on the cusp of the cut. You know what I mean? I'm smoking it right now. Another, you know, it's sister. You know what I mean? And I just harvested that one. I know I got the bones back of it. I'm like, do I want her to go yet? I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. So I'm throw her out somewhere. 
give her a Hail Mary shot. She makes it through. Perfect time to try to get an outdoor refetch going. So we'll see. The sun sometimes brings the plant back to life, really. The outdoor cold and the sun, and it kind of sometimes makes the plant solid. Girthes it up. It's definitely, in my experience, I've noticed that for a lot of people, if they take a six plant and put her outdoors for even a few weeks and bring it back in, it restores a lot of bullshit back in the in the plant overall health figure you know any kind of genetics genetics way that a lot of people have seen can usually be restored after you know some good time outdoors but what i found in my case the strains the hail marys i noticed shit that i never you know i mean in some cases uh uh, Space Candy was the first one that I tried this with. I ran Space Candy for many runs. I'm great strain. It was more of a, a cloning accident is why she didn't make it. You know what I mean? So at that point, I did the same thing as I'm doing over here with the smash cake through her outside. And then, you know, once she revenged and clones were hopping out there, you know, clonable branches... I swiped some and brought her back indoors. You know what I mean? We got, got her right back into a steady environment. Was like, ah, I got you back, baby. You know what I mean? And then let the rest of the other one go. But man, that flower was totally different from one. But like as you're saying yourself here, you know that strain they cut that I brought back indoors offered completely different traits than what I had noticed many, many runs prior. She was much more sweeter, a lot more candy-ish. You know, she was, she showed a lot more traits that she didn't, you know, show indoors from seed, from seed till then. You know what I mean? But taking her outdoors and bringing her back in, I was like, okay, there's some new shit going on here. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's the. I think the outdoor sun it does something in the in the developing of the genetics. I like it even when I have plants that have seeds or I think the seeds outdoors are like a plant that gets that sun does something to it. When it definitely gets a little that sun. With that being said, do you almost think that? uh, you know, the test, a lot of the blood testing should be diverse, you know, from multi-environments, but do you think you'd get your most accurate test from the testers grown outdoors? You know what I mean? From Mother Nature, do you think that's its fullest expression of what it would be or could be? Outdoors with the with um people have the outdoors greenhouse with added light. 
I think the sun, when it has the sun rays, it really develops the full terpenes. But I think there's some strains that are developed indoors and have never seen the sun. A lot of, there's so many growers who grow and breed indoors that plant, there's a whole lines of genetics that have probably never developed or seen the sun. And they're probably great genetics. So, I mean, That's one of, so when they're planted outside, they're going to do great. See, I know when I like run up from seed, I don't necessarily see the full expression of what I'm getting till at least the second or third run. First time I'm getting a taste of what she's got. Second run, I'm getting pretty much a whole new profile. You know, I'm seeing what mainly what the plant has to offer. Sometimes I don't see that completely until the third run on some strains. But do you think you can get that, <clears throat> skip the indoor, you know, what I would see second, third run? Can you think you would skip that by putting your outdoors one run because you have that full spectrum of the sun, you have more environment? Do you think what do you think the outdoor grower from that first test would see what I'm seeing, like the third run, first run? You understand what I'm saying? Would, they, is it, would that test be that much more advanced, I guess? I think they'll just get a better, um, the sun and the environment, you might get more seeds. The plant will probably be bigger if it's outside. And you'll probably just have, I don't think it matters too much, but um, breeding outside will make your genetics, I think, stronger in the long run. More resistant to mold is what I've seen. I've bought, I have bought seeds from places where they don't grow outsides where I know they breed indoors or have bred indoors for a long time. And a lot of their plants have powdery mildew problems. But then when you buy like from growers that are notorious for growing in outdoor regions and you see them or even like Europe or whatever, some of those outdoor breeders, they don't, I don't see as many mold problems. But yeah, I think growing outside the plants to develop a resistance to mold or will either get it and die off and have to be chosen not to be bred. That's how I look at when I put plants outside is like, okay, I'm going to put a whole bunch of plants outside, a whole bunch of varieties. And there's going to be some that will get the mold because there's a lot of mold in my area too. It's a high humidity, high mold area. There's a lot of mold spores in the air. So that's how it's easy to find plants that are weak, really, growing outside where I live. And you just, I. So would you I, say your bubble gummer, your bubble gummer strains are your most uh, mold resistant that uh, is on your menu? Mm hmm. Yep. I'd say we have bubble gum is mold resistant. 
No, but there's like a few different bubble gum varieties out there. I'm pretty sure but this one that I have is very mold resistant and cold resistant. That's why I bred it so into all that, these. Yep. Is that a trade you found with uh, both the bubble gum or in the sour bottle? That uh, that mold resistance and uh, pest resistance uh, that you noticed, you know, with the grape and the bubble gummer before. Did, was that true with sour bottle as well? Yeah, I thought sour bottle is a little bit mold resistant as well too. I think it's. This is another awesome variety of bubble gum that I really liked from Bog. Did you know him from back in the day? No, no. I wish I had seen go this last year, man. Lost a couple legends with this last round, man. Subcool, Boggle. Hopefully, yeah. uh, it's not a trend. Hopefully, we can hold off on that. So, like I said, I had my last few uh, seeds I had were the sour boggle there. I don't even think I kept any back. I think I dropped what I had trying to, you know, keep things going, keep the memory going. Up. No deals. No deals. Those guys were like legends to me back when I was, uh, when I was young, starting out grower. Those guys were the freaking awesome to me. Those guys were the the guys. Another one of my books that I like to was into was Soma. That guy's pretty cool. It's like a Rastafarian breeder. I really like his style of growing, organic growing. It's where I probably got a lot of my uh, just inspiration from. Soma. Yep. I've definitely tried to get him on offered a couple of times. I'm hoping uh, he'll take my invitation sometime soon. Come on, show. Tons of respect for him as well. He even seems like he's growing with Amazing organic living soil methods. They didn't call he didn't call it that, but it seemed like very organic his methods. Man, I'm fucking sitting here thinking how stony I am wondering. No wonder I'm trying to save this cake me out. She does pack quite a, a nice little punch. It's one thing I've kind of been, uh, I haven't been smoking just one last few days. I've been trimming or doing a nice little harvest. So I've been kind of like flipping around like six strains the last few days. It's been a nice, so my tolerance is like weak, I think, today, because I've been like mixing it up, but it hasn't just been that one. 
<laughs> that one, you know what I mean, where you smoke it and like, yeah, it's still not good. Pretty good day as far as smoking. Cheers to you, martial artist 2012. That's good, man. Do you ever do any edibles? It was never possible. <laughs> so well, I just started making gummies and love making gummies. So uh, what what do you like the best about the edibles in your opinion? The what's up? What do you like best about the edibles? I'd say um, just getting people to eat them and have their reaction when they taste them. They're fun making the flavors, having like a flavor blast and being able to be like, okay, I'm going to put this in here and see, see how people enjoy it. definitely love some edibles man especially good edible buzz uh, definitely carries for a while first day is like it for me it's like a heavy stone second day is like that edible hangover that i still very much enjoy third day it's like oil you know what i mean all the joints everything's fucking feeling awesome go fucking do whatever you want to do from there on out man as long as you can keep it rocking man it's like a good vitamin at that point. Right? It keeps the, yeah, it keeps the mood good all the time, edibles. So what are the basis for the edibles? What do you, you know, what do you need to uh, make some dummies there? How do I make them? Yeah, what do you need to make some uh, gummies? So I start with um, like jello packages, whatever flavor you want. And then you need just water. So I start with one cup of water and one cup of corn syrup. And then it's about four spoonfuls of gelatin added to it. And then one large pack of Jello, whatever flavor. Then you could also add more flavor if you want. Like if you're doing lemon, you could add a little bit of fresh lemon zest or whatever. And then you put that on the, you mix that up, stir it up, put it on the stove top, get it boiling, turn it on low, let it simmer for a while. And I use uh, cannabis coconut oil. So I can fuse cannabis coconut oil or f f like fresh rosin and press a half ounce into like a little, little gram rosin and, and melt that into a little bit of alcohol, like tincture alcohol. And then when the the gelatin's warm, take it off the heat, take the little stuff off the top. It's kind of like gelatin skim and melt that rosin in. 
takes a little while almost bring it put it back on the heat on real low and just stir it for a while put it in the blender and blend it really hard so it's got to be fresh and almost liquidous they have both have to be hot to melt real nicely and then just the molds fill them in spray them so they don't stick That's the best, one of the best ways, man. The only thing I don't like about edibles is the amount of weight I can pack on right quick. Man, Man, I noticed the last time I was at an event stocked up on edibles. Man, it was was both uh, the deal and the amazing edibles they had. But, man, I went home brownies this thick cake puppy chow you know what i mean oh man i ate it all like that night it was like super big fucking surveys and shit i the whole time i'm like oh i know this is bad i know it's bad it was a good buzz but man still a lot a lot of sugar a lot of sugar oh good shit Good shit. So, it's the only downside of edibles for me. So I pack, I tend to pack away a lot. Try to. Yeah, brownies and stuff. I used to make brownies and then, oh man, I'd eat a brownie and pass out. My mother-in-law would come in the kitchen when I was making brownies and see uh, brownie batter and taste it and be like, yummy. And then she would eat it and be like, oh, no, this is stuff. And then be like, no, you're going to enjoy the night, Mom. So what do you do with your uh, trim? You know, obviously, uh, it doesn't sound like you're smashing your trim. So what do you, you do with your trim? Yeah, all of it. it goes in a crock pot. Yeah, radicals. Sometimes, like the major family, yeah, it all just throw, gets dried in a pan and then goes into a crock, crock pot. Even a lot of like outdoor plants, sometimes it, I had to harvest early and I just grabbed them all and was like, okay, this is all going to be edibles. Pretty much. If it's not quality bud to me, I'll just turn into edibles. But yeah, the little teeny pieces of buds, trim. It's all like goes in a crock pot and a bunch of coconut oil. And then I just simmer it for like two or three hours on low and then turn it up to high for an hour. Turn it off and then I'd strain it after it sits for a couple of days. So do you actually have a uh, flower flower that you run or is it uh mostly you know yeah. seed smoke No, I grow flower for myself. I love growing flower. It's like a double-edged sword because I love making seeds, but then I love growing good herb for myself. So it's like I got to get ahead on herb and then like okay, next batch this area is for seeds. Like my Greenhouse is for seeds. 
And then after this, this run of flower, I'll have to be like, okay, I'm going to have to do a couple seed plants in my indoor room. And then, but yeah, it's hard to want, I want to do more. I want to do a huge breeding project. You know, I want to just take all my seeds do a huge run outdoors. That would be what I really want to do. And then select the best three out of those and just whittle it down and rebreed and do a whole new drop of something amazing with just like the best of the best. That's really what I want to do. A high elevation and sunnier location. Because then you could really see the the plant if the plant's growing sun every day from first thing in the morning to the you know three hundred days of sun hot weather you could really see how a plant could do I think that's what I'm looking forward to do in the future. So is there any, uh, any special techniques you use when you're uh, training your plant pre-flower? Do you just would prefer to let them come up or do you shrug or you know, just whatever you need to do to meet uh, the light height indoors? That's kind of basically the way in most cases I'm running. Sometimes... I like to try the cold trick to see how cold it'll really handle. That's my, that's, uh, that's what I think. How cold can a plant handle and then how hot can a plant handle? What does better in those extreme environments? So at what point do you see the cripple plant like cripple off? Uh, and our opinions have changed, you know, in the last few years with the LED, you know, before LED, that sweet spot, we always want to say 70, 75. Now with the introductions of LEDs, you know, we're trying to preach 80, 82 to 85, that sweet spot with LED. So what's, uh, where where have you noticed on the cutoff of the plant as far as production, as far as temperature goes? Like 63 is too cold for a lot of plants. At night, it's probably okay. But like, I've taken plants, I had a whole run of a bunch of plants indoors. All all these plants, I took them all down to 63 inside just to see which one they could handle the most. And like the Northern Lights does great in the cold weather. The heavy duty fruit, some of them don't do very good at all. But 63 is not really that cold. Some people have that in their nighttime temperature all the time. But cold is like when you put them outside in the freezing and test them. Like how cold can they get and get purple and actually perform after a snowfall? 
and all these What's plants, up? all these plants that I have, all the backbone of all these plants all survived snowfalls out of like, you know, 50 plant breeding project where it snowed, you know, two inches for a day and then, it, you know, froze, got mass cold and then a day or the next day it was sunny where some of the plants were just dead. What about on the hot side? Where do you see uh, production cut off? You know what I mean? As far as heat goes. Yeah. Anything in the, like 90 degrees is not good to make seeds. As I've tried to make seeds in my greenhouse at, at 90 degrees on a Gorilla Glue. And it didn't work out. It was too hot. It was just like, couldn't handle it. Like the seeds turned all white and khaki and just didn't. There was even some seeds that seemed like they were going to be okay, but the offspring didn't turn out. It would like grow and die. It was like not good to breed in hot conditions, I think in hot humid greenhouse like i was doing that was kind of nonsense what i was doing in that greenhouse trying to breed in hot conditions humid in the middle of summer and the summerish actually but that was kind of leading up to my next question there would have been uh you know do you notice a difference uh with a male-female ratio, you know, is that directly related to, you know, temperature and environment and time and conception there, you know, when she's seemed out or when she's pollinated, I shouldn't say. I'm not sure on the, I think the male, I think you get more female ratios. I don't know why some strains have more female and some male ratios. I think it's the seed, just, just the do you ratio. Think it's the male, or do you think can temperature play a, a direct relation in anything? Like you were saying, you know, it's not so good to breed in hot, humid times. You know, if she is, you know, pollinated during that time, do you think that there's like correlation that, that you're more likely to get male seeds if that's the condition of uh egg pollination yeah i think i'm almost tired of i thought about not even using males anymore like after this run actually what do you think about this of not even trying to breed with males for like two years and just breeding with females and making just feminized seed because that seems like what the market wants. They want feminized seed. Some people say you put the silver on the plant and it messes up the genetics. Some people say if you like put the light on the plant, confuse it and make it turn, have male pollen from switching with the light, it makes it hermaphrodite. But That's it would just be nice to have. You're kind of limiting the, the gene selection. By, you know, feminized selection like that, where if you bring it in the male, at least one male, 
you know, he's still throwing out somewhat of a, a code, you know, uh, even it's not even the same code, you know what I mean? Uh, you can, a man and woman can have several kids, and even though he's the same father and she's the same mother, them kids aren't going to look the same every throw, you know what I mean? The balance of genetic, you know, DNA and what it's captured at that time of conception is going to be different every time. So I think with that being said, with you, you pull the nail out of there in that scenario and you go, you know, breeding from female, you know, sprays, turning her into a herd and breeding like that, you're eventually locking out of a lot of possibilities in the future. It seems like the natural way that it would be breeding males into females would be like a more stable natural process. That's the way I've always done it until just recently. I've just started to, you know, try to make some feminized seeds. So have you had a couple of good runs with femmes? I mean, what's your experience with femmes? You know, I mean, when you uh, pollinate, are you with the next few rounds seeing the same traits over and over? Better, like amazing more traits, the bigger and better plants where it came off the, the, the next run. I did like an, it was an auto, lemon kush to an auto bubble gum and it, and the and it came out amazing but that was just but then that was like out of 10 seeds there's three that were amazing because i put them in a big pot and the other ones i left in a small pot and they didn't seem like they were coming out that well so yeah like out of a batch of 10 there'll be like some that will be amazing and some that will be okay it might be the way they got transplanted or taken care of or in the room at that position they're just growing better too But yeah, I think I'm really interested in pulling off a bunch of auto auto feminized a, a line of those for people who want to grow just in the summertime and pull off awesome plants. There's, I've seen some people who are selling autoflowers completely sell out this year, and I didn't know they were that popular until and I, and I tested out a few more, and they really performed amazing. I was really surprised. So how difficult do you think it could be to, you know, bring something you like in a photo period or, you know, to, a, to an auto? 
How hard is it to bring the good stuff? I back think it was even possible to do that. Turn it to auto. See, someone said not to do that. There's this guy that there's this old school guy that's been a breeder for a while that I respect, and he said you shouldn't breed autos to photos or fo- or because there's that'd be like making a whole new crazy hybrid. But then there's some people who say they breed photos three times to themselves and create autos. And I, I thought that was off. I was like, I thought that was more of a ruderalis plant. That's an auto from Russia, right? That, that's where I always thought autos were from. Ruderalis, uh, backbone. If someone gets a hybrid and then breeds it to itself three times and breeds out all the hybrid in it, and then it, the auto traits show themselves, then yeah, they could get an auto after three runs or three batches of seeds and breeding it to itself three times. That's what I've heard. But I always thought autos were two breeder Alice phenos bred to themselves you take an auto and auto and you breed it and then you have an auto but if you take an auto to a regular then you'd have to take those seeds and then breed them in three to four to five to six times to see if they're really auto but i heard that's not what you're supposed to do so it's not really the I'm not really going for that. I'm going for auto to auto. Because if I start crossing ruderalis to hybrids, then it's just going to be some super hybrid, half auto, semi auto, which I think I found in one of my seed batches are traded. But it's just weird. That's the so, early. So where, you, where do you think your main focus will be? I mean, it's hard to lay your, you know, your cards out across so many tables there with, uh, you know, auto breeding and film photo. That's a that's a pretty pretty big hand there. Do you think, think you'll end up just focusing on one or the other? I don't know. I want to go after one flavor. For want to go after one flavor for photo period and have it be something really like something that no one has but papaya or something my buddy bred some papaya and he's got a bunch of seeds for me to try out so I really want to find out how these work out test them out if that works out, if I like them, then I'll work with them. But um, I'm going to search for some papaya seeds to do a photo period with. Or like a GMO. But I also want to breed a f- super freak, this freak show. So I really would like to create freak show with like super papaya like tropical freak show would be what I want to create coming up. That would be like what I want to get seeds right now for this fall 
now those seeds would be available <laughs> but that's like what i really am looking for right now but what i have in my first project coming up is 33k across the bunch of other stuff uh valley of the aliens cross with a bunch of like a jerry springer mix in my greenhouse and then after that it'll be the auto auto run and uh People that are, are late to the seed game could pop some autos and still get a crop in summer. So people could buy seeds in like late spring or even the middle of summer. Any time of year, you could grow autos, really. Autos are awesome. You could grow autos all the time. People love them. They're like the perfect little decoration house plant if you don't want a, a big plant. Or you could put them in a big pot and put a lot of light over them and really try to search for the biggest auto you got and go for that. There's a competition starting today, like the Easter egg competition. Have you heard of that? No, I think no. pe- oh. people are growing uh, autos in an Easter or an egg. And it starts today. Most people are going with an auto because it's like, it's only like a two or three months because you can a photo period would just break the shell of an egg, right? Just an auto would kind of. Right? So the smaller the pot, the smaller the auto. So if you're usually. So. Mr. Green Thumb's competition. I'm, yeah, Mr. Green Thumb on Instagram. He's got this eggshell competition that's uh, grow your plant in the eggshell. And whoever could grow it the biggest plant without breaking the eggshell wins like a golden So is it like a half eggshell? I mean, is the the egg itself supposed to be the medium? Are you just cracking a hole in the top and like emptying out the egg? You know, trying to get some soil in there. You know, that's actually the container. Yeah. Shells and container. So, like, you could use any egg. If you're, like, and work in a museum and have access to a, a dinosaur egg, you'd probably... But an ostrich egg would be the biggest egg. I looked up buying. It was, like, $25. It'd be, like, a $25 pot. That's a pretty big egg. But I think the winning trophy is like an ostrich egg painted in gold. And all bunch of props on Instagram if you win. Yeah, it'd be uh, interesting to see how that turns out. I've seen a lot of solo cup challenges, but I've never seen a, an egg challenge, basically. A winner last year had a Rockwell in the egg and like deep water culture pumping into the egg. Pretty much water being pumped in constantly, hydroponic. Still seemed like they're, you know, even though you were coddling that root mass with a constant drip, seemed like it would still get eventually, you know, big enough to crack that thing. Well, like a, a goose egg. A goose egg's pretty big, like this big. It's about maybe a little bit bigger than a solo cup or about the same size. If you just drill a small hole. It's 
Might be harder to break a goose egg than a solo cup, though. Damn, too bad. Too bad. Oh, huh. it's just a lot. That'd be a cool uh, challenge. I have to check that out. It'd be the challenge to find the find the eggshell, the medium. Yeah, maybe a fine, fine cocoa. Put in there some peat, like one of the peat pots. Try to get away with that. So, do you plan to? Uh, is that where you plan to kind of like? Stay your needs as uh, just as a breeder, kind of for now, in the in your cannabis journey. I think I really like bubble gum too. I think I'm gonna breed. Um, some gelato on bubble gum, gelato gold on bubble gum, and I'm always gonna keep bubble gum around. I like breeding a lot. And I want to offer like solid, amazing genetics to people who get their seeds and are like, this is fucking chronic. This is great flavor, grows stacked, heavy. You know, they're blown away by the terps and the quality of the plant. That's really why I want to grow seeds and have people be able to get seeds for a good deal out there. I've been doing this for myself for a long time and had this huge collection and been giving them away to my friends and family. And sometimes my people will say, Hey, what do you want for them? And I'm just like, I don't know. They just give me stuff, whatever (laughs) trades, whatever. But a lot of my buddies really enjoy the seeds I give them. And my family. And after a while, everyone's like, you got to let people know about them. And keep doing this. And they keep wanting different, different, uh, but similar. So, you know, I've, I've been wanting to have just a huge collection of seeds for myself. And just recently thought, you know, I should get rid of these and, and let the public ha- have a good experience with with these flavors. I can't have all these seeds to myself. Which one are you most excited about currently? The Blackberry Bubblegum Kush, that one's killer. The Tropical Face Mash, that's a new one that I created this, like, it was like 2020, right right after the pandemic. Pineapple Flan crossed with Bog Bubble. That one's going to be good. It's like, you know, pineapple bubblegum flavors.
Is there some strains that you're looking to bring into the uh, in work, in to work with, or are you pretty much backed up with uh, what you got? Yeah, I feel like I'm. I have some strains that I'm looking at that I don't want in my garden. Like I'm just looking at their structure and growth, and I'm like, why do I have these in my garden? Like almost too many plants. So I'm looking to get some more really strong growing uh amazing like i'm almost uh, sometimes get addicted to looking for the next best seeds like it could be so other is it just uh have you noticed anything other than organics that uh, or living soil that uh, makes us stronger seeds? Maybe light, nutrients, anything? Yeah, it's like the elevation, that. wind and elevation too. And that's what I've heard from most people. If you're growing up on a mountainside of, up in high elevation where there's good wind flow, cold clear nights those will make really strong like the guys growing in northern california have huge seeds too i think the seeds that i've been getting lately i've got some seeds the 33k and uh Valley of the Aliens, those were made in Northern California in this, and they're just so girthy compared to everything else that I've got that I've tested lately. I've tested a bunch of just like rods and some other things that are just like, whatever, these things, I don't even, white strawberry time warp and dub warp or something. Some other things that I, they're just okay, but um, I'm almost done testing out any other genetics of anyone else's for a little bit, unless it's like a certain time that I'm looking for. Like seeds that I win or something that I get on Instagram, just, you know, oh, I want some pack of seeds. I'm done with that because I, I like finding the super hard to find to get seeds that no one's got. The tropical. But yeah, I, I really like to find the best seeds that I'm like, I'm always, I've been addicted to buying seeds almost, you know, finding, trying to find, but now I've made so many good crosses. I'm, I have to work with what I have. Hello? I'm here. Yeah. So, uh, are you gonna pretty much? Are you pretty much locked in stabilizing what you got now before you move forward, or uh, you know what's the plan on uh, new strains? Yeah, I'm locked into what I have now, but um, I've I've grown them all to where I I want to just keep 
keep breeding with them in a new way. Like add a different twist to them now. Like take the early Citron Kush and breed that 33K. And take a few of the other ones that I really like and breed them out with like Valley of the Aliens or test them against other genetics that like papaya or whatnot. There you go. Hello? Can you hear me? My audio, yeah, my audio flagged there for a second. I was like, what the hell? That's never happened to me where my mic's just throwing an exclamation point. I can't see the screen. Are you there? Yeah, I can't see the screen, but I, I hear you. It's all good. So uh, where do you plan to go with the uh, cannabis journey here? Is it just kind of concentrating on seeds and breeding for now? I want to make connections with some other breeders out there who's breeding with some really good stuff too. Right. Yeah. And um, I'm just really enjoying the all the cannabis um explosion of I'd say it's like cannabis revolution going on right now across the United States with like US open source genetics and everything going on. The goal is to be able to breed outside and to have like a bigger farm. A sunnier place. I bought some land in Arizona, but to set up like a an outdoor farm, off the grid type farm, and do a big pheno hunt with some other breeders, and just uh, yeah, and just pretty much focus on breeding and, and building a. A cannabis seed library. I got to make more seeds because I'm going to be running out of seeds soon. I think in a few months. So, yeah. It's a constant, it's a constant journey for me to keep building a better genetic Um, plant that has amazing turps or looking for that amazing plant that you plant and you're like this is gross great no matter what you could grow it in freaking northern conditions where it's humid gets rained on doesn't mold flowers early finishes before the frost if it does get frosty lives through the frost that's the type of plant that I'm looking for and I'm breeding for and in all plants I look for that. 
for all the cannabis. You might even have a, a, a type of plant or one out of a, that 10 or, or more hardy. So that's the structure. I want that short, fast flowering, high terpy, amazing flavors for people to enjoy when they pop these phenomenal genetic seeds. Now, it's always been a purpose to create amazing genetics for, you know, myself, my family, and friends, and community. That's the best way that, uh, you know, to actually start spreading the love a little bit. You know, that's one of the things that when I was selling seeds, that uh, just being able to give seeds to people, get people started was some of the best gifts I've ever received in my life. You know, the gratitude for being able to start their own gardens is incredible. So, uh, other than cannabis, what are some of your interests besides this, this amazing plant? What would you, uh, what would I find you doing outside and about? I like fishing, spending time with my daughter mostly, with family, cooking, barbecuing. Okay. You sound like a down-to-earth guy overall. Yeah, pretty much. What do you like doing with your time mostly besides? Well, it's pretty thin these days. <laughs> I don't get a whole lot of wanting to do stuff. But I'm basically, about the only thing I get out to do on my fun time anymore are uh, tattoos and uh, cannabis events are pretty much what I get out to do the most of these days. You give tattoos? And, uh, you get tattoos or you give them? Oh, I get. I get. I'm not a giver. I'm a getter. <laughs> <laughs> and I might say, do you? I got, I'm supposed to have an appointment in the seat next week. <laughs> what a cannabis... You said you have a can you got cannabis going to cannabis events? Yeah, yeah, I love going to cannabis events. Are there any planned for this year? You plan to go to? Yeah, from what I've heard that well, we just had the hash bash, which I thought I knew I had a feeling they were gonna go through with it for some reason. I don't know why I got sidetracked with the the effort. But um, missed the hash bash. That was just a Saturday. There's a couple 420 events planned. You know, pre 420, like 417. There's some 420 events thereafter that are you know in person events. High times, I think, even is having a 420 here event here in Michigan. 
So things are slowly starting to open up, you know. You know, I'm very, very grateful for even the small events. Hell, anymore, I'm more grateful for the small events than I am some of the larger events. Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah. They used to have Hempfest here, and it was huge in Seattle. I think they're still planning on it, but it's almost too big. It's a so many people. It's like a huge concert. But um, I heard there's a small the smaller events are a lot better. It seems like the Earl Cup. Um, there's an Auto Flower Cup I'm going to in August for a day it's like a three-day event but i'm gonna show up for a day and check it out up north and uh found it on it it's like called the auto flower cup 2021 check that out i hope that uh, they do open up man last year we got kind of screwed on the whole event thing, you know. Here in Michigan, we, we stuck a few in, but, man, nothing like we usually do. But uh, I know people are dying to get out and have that experience again. So hopefully, you know, the, the event promoters, people that put that shit together aren't discouraged this year and can at least start planning moving forward on some good sides of that. Yeah, it was a seemed like a looking forward to all the new events that are going to be opening up. Yeah, this will be a good year. So, what's your schedule like usually during the days? Are you an early riser? How do your days usually play out? Yeah, I usually get up early between like six and seven. Not that early, but I like to get up earlier. Sometimes 5.30. Get up, check on the grow. First thing, go down there, turn a little like uh, fan on. That's like a little, kind of a cooling fan that goes back and forth. And it's just like wakes me up feel like I'm walking a tropical oasis. But yeah, I go downstairs and go check on the grow, um, make sure everything's good, see what needs to be watered, start watering, spend like a little bit of time in there. And then I usually hear, come upstairs, use the restroom and say good morning to my family, my wife and daughter and get ready for her to go to work. And I usually head to work and then come back, get ready for dinner, check on the grill here and there. Um, yeah, my work schedule always varies though, so it's always a little bit off. It's culinary, so it always changes up a little bit. I'm gonna jump up and use the restroom real quick.
Sure, go ahead. Sure, go ahead. Cheers, chat in Denver. Lacey, the Captain Fortune. How are you guys doing? Ned Denver, of course. Chad Westport, Smiley's Gardens, GR420 Community Video. Catching up on chat here. I think personally, guys, as far as the environment things, I think it's just the temperature plays a role and as far as the ability to take, she could be sweating at that point, blocking out some portions of the male pollen. <laughs> may not take as well. Temperatures may play in a key as they, she may be, them pistols may be more open and sticky, maybe in a humidity condition, which may take more of the male DNA. I just think there's a few things that could play a key in a variance there as far as how well the male seed is taken some days it may be too hot. You may not even just take enough of the mail to make seeds and not necessarily take your mind as, hot, as much as she would during a, you know, wettish where it just sticks. I don't know. I think. Give me some time. I'm, that's going to, I'm going to ask every breeder that I talk to from now on, you guys. Everyone. I may even bring back some of the big boys just to fucking play with this topic. Cheers, everybody. Alex Boobachev. And it's 207. Justin 420. Ghost Dozer. Red Pill, nice to see you. I see Indra did pop in the chat earlier. I'm hoping uh, Indra will take my uh, my invitation to do an episode with me and you, Red Pill. I kind of threw out the invitation to him today. I've seen him in chat. Hopefully he has you know, caught my invitation and is willing to take me up on it. All right. Had to use the restroom there. Right up. <coughs> so, what kind of food are you uh, cooking there? If you don't mind me asking, what's uh, in the tray in the cooking field at one point too? Work at a hotel, so we cook really good food. It's like local seasonal food. You're cooking a nice Easter feast today. It's like lamb, braised lamb shank, with couscous, and like smoked prime rib, smoked chicken, octopus legs, and smoked salmon. Sounds pretty damn good. Sounds pretty damn good.
Here's what I mean a big seed, and I don't know if you could see this compared to anything. But you know the little seed vials that hold like three seeds? Yes, sir. Yep, yep. These are pretty big seeds, but yeah, that's a pretty coconut. So them are the living soil seeds there? Yeah. I wish there was a way you could put a seed under like a Like how we test humans and see if they're male or female in their in their belly. Oh, there's a way you could do that with seeds. You could like put them in a tester. See, that's what we they've been talking about a little bit. Chat have been instigated. I I guess it instigated a little bit. Is uh, we were talking about if temperature could play a role here. Uh, pollination so say if it's a hot sticky night as you kind of we talked about a little bit there do you think there's a chance that you know temperature and environment play a role in the male female ratio you know what i mean do you think like on a hot wet night that you may be more likely to get a better germination you know take of what the male has to offer or a male female or do you think, like, on a cooler night, you may get a better chance of female ratio to male seeds? Yeah, cooler night. Temperature, do you, do you think temperature has a, or environment has anything yeah. to do with that ratio? I think, like, the vapor, the vapor temperature and the humidity and, like, the moon cycles and all that stuff has a huge deal. If you're pollinating outside, which I have, and yeah, I think it has major role. When you have cold temperatures. I kind of make sense to me too, especially when you're thinking about like a PDP chart and opening everything up to see Mata as far as she can get. So if you're going by that and you've got everything opened up, you've got the race car revved as far as you can get, you know, and then at that point in pollination, you pollinate her, it seems like she would take on everything that the male had to give. You know what I mean? She'd just be like drinking it, basically. You'd get a better chance of, you know, more seeds, a better uh, take on or whatever, DNA was being passed or chromosomes or whatever being passed from male to female. You'd think there would be a sweet spot right there. And then maybe even know from that being able to figure out you know, is it better to germinate at 60 degrees for a better female male ratio or is it better to you know germinate at 80 degrees? You know, proper, you know, BDP or whatever, you know, is there a sweet spot there, something directly correlating with environment. Yeah, I wonder if, I'm still not sure if it, 
I think you can make female seeds for sure. But when you make regular seeds, I'm not sure if you have some seeds that are male and female or some seeds that could change depending on when they're being sprouted. Like you're saying at that temperature could be male or female depending on how it's sprouted. I think you're right on that. How that could happen too, like how it's sprouted could depend on how it turns out a male or female. So even even if that say you know another environmental condition, you know say, you know she was stressing out from another environmental stress bug or whatever, and she's blocking using more more of herself to make terpenes to block out the bugs during you know conception. So she was using some of her chromosomes for this or that. And isn't it possible? You know, more process going to that should be more likely to block out the XY chromosomes or whatever. I think there's, I think the environment can play big stress with that germination ratio, male to, male to female. Now I'm just kind of an elevation, yeah. I think there's an elevation you could breed at that and L environment where you might could produce like 80% female and 20% male, which is probably like, or like 10% male. And that would be the, the ultimate goal is to get down to like five or 10% male and a pack of 10 seeds, get one male. If you're selling regular seeds, if I buy a pack of regular seeds and I get one or two males, I'm freaking stoked. That's cool. But if I get like four or five males and I'm like, oh, well, it's all right. It was just like, but hopefully if you get 80% female, you know, out of a pack of regular seeds, that's what I'm hoping people get. And when I pick out seeds, I I'm looking for those big fat seeds. Well, I think those are female, the big fat ones. It's but, kind of 50, 50, but it's not always 50, 50. There's been yeah. times <laughs> Breed, are there, I shit you not, there's been breeders I've worked with where the, the germination rate, you know, male to female, has been so outstanding to where I've got almost female every time to where I've wondered if if the breeder wasn't sending me test films. You know what I mean? You know, I was like, and the same thing versus the other side. I've done, you know, Reg seeds, supposedly reg seeds, you know, in both cases, and have nothing but males. So there's got to be some factor playing on there to why it's heavy to one side or the other, and not always 50 50, because it's rarely 50 50. Shit, there's most times when I'm popping a pack of five, I'm getting four females. It's never usually heavy to the male side, it's usually heavier to the female side. So there has to be some some type of magic, you know, theorem, the recipe to the whole thing to get, even in a photo type situation to where you're getting 90% female seeds. You know what I mean? From said stuff. There's got to be some kind of magical theorem there. Maybe growing at like a certain elevation with the right humidity, 
but I'm that's the goal for me is to get at a certain elevation and test all these phenos, all my take all, every seed that I have and just grow it all out, and a whole bunch of other packs that I have that I haven't popped and and test them. Every single seed I have out, I would love to see that happen. And then, you know, do a huge phenohan off that. But that's down the road. I think high elevation will really test out genetics. I went to California in 2012 and did a, a year growing there and uh, bred a lot of these plants there. And we were at like 1800 or 2000 feet elevation or something. But yeah. Yeah, I see the comments and chats. Breeders would like to see a few males in their stock. I can, yeah, I get that. I get that too. But with that being said, too, man, when you're offering a product to somebody, it seems like, as I see here, you know, GMO says he got. 12 out of 13, you know, females out of that stock you had there. That's what you want to see. As a, You know what I mean? I, I would think as a breeder, as somebody that you're selling seeds, you want to be able to go, like, yeah, man, you buy a pack of my seeds, yeah, you're going to guarantee you're going to get mostly females. You ain't wasting your money with me. You know what I mean? I would think that that would be important. You know, I don't I know that's important as a buyer. I'm not necessarily breeding, but I want, if I'm going to waste my money or, you know, I want to take my chances on getting, I want that 10 packed way heavy. <laughs> Why wouldn't you, you know what I mean? I'm not necessarily buying regs to get five and five. I'm hoping to get hopefully eight or nine or hopefully 10 females. And then I, my problem is selecting down. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But I don't know. I've, I feel like I've gone through a lot of strains and just like said, oh, I don't want to breed this, but I really like it. Or I just didn't have time to breed it at that time. Or I felt like, oh, I should have, but I didn't. Or I did and I didn't get enough seeds. So it was just like, okay, I had a couple seeds I could give away or test out. But yeah, there's so many strains that... um are out there right now it seems like in the last 10 years the whole name of strains have gone from like a the dark side to the candy side the candy land strain game it's almost like uh what's going to be It's so weird. I've never even thought it would be called these candy things, but they sound cool. The pies and stuff. I've heard of the grandma's pie that looked like a super freak that I'm really interested in getting. Something that has that super freak leaf, I think, could be really popular in the future. I know it's already really sold out, that super freak show. The plant that looks like a fern. Have you seen that? I 
have not seen it. Uh, I've oh. seen a freak that uh, somebody else, I'm pretty sure it was Johnny Kennedy that had a freaky seed. It's that's coming up looking a lot like a fern. It's yeah. Wild. A humble seed color. They did the spring. Yeah. It seems like it would be really good to grow outside. It would just uh, it would look like a normal fern or something. Neighbors wouldn't notice it. And it's just an odd genetic structure. Yeah, it does. It seems it seems like it grows really, really slow. Like when I've seen people grow in the beginning, it just looks, yeah. It looks like a sick, weird plant when it's first sprouting up. It doesn't look like anything that that resembles. Uh, it was Tao. Tao has that one that looks like a fur. Thank you, Johnny. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. If there's any out there that wants to sell it, let me know. I'm really interested in breeding the freaking fern to like something tropical. Lost your mic there. Yeah, if anyone knows. There you go. If anyone has that uh, freak show out there, I want to get that freak show for sure and breed it but that'd be like a next down the road project it's just a kind of crazy plant so do you want to breed with it just because of the, the genetic uh, weirdness of it is that what draws you in? yeah I, I think in five years it won't be around I think it's a crazy thing that'll be around for one or two years and they'll be gone. Or it'll just be like in the vault somewhere for a thousand dollars and two people have a pack. It won't be, it'll be, you know, I don't think anyone's going to grow like a whole room of it. Or I don't think any recreational place is going to have it. I think it's more for like a home grower gets it and they breed it. And, uh, some breeders play with it, whatnot. But I think it's going to disappear. I really do. And I think it's so original that it could just, it could be popular. People could be looking for it for a few years from now. Because when it came out, Humboldt Seed Co. came out with it, I think last year or the year before that. And it sold out in- instantly. And now I know someone who bought I heard about someone buying the pack and trying to resell it for now they're selling it for $400 a pack. So it's the last pack available. It feels like in chat might be saying, uh, check out twisted roots. You may have something with the freak show. Okay. Yeah. Anything resembling that freak show. I will. Thank you. Twisted roots. Find him on YouTube and Instagram under the handle, probably even under Third Eye Strings. No and there's a lot of people who like to grow outside that are like maybe live on a farm next to a road or whatever. 
and they're just scared to grow. And a lot of states are going to legalize and say, oh, yeah, everyone could grow four or five or six plants. I think they brought up a bill in Washington state where they said everyone could grow six plants or in Arizona, they said everyone could grow six plants. So if that was the case in a few years, a fern type looking plant that is indistinguishable from like the, the typical ganja leaf plant might be popular. So it would be cool to make it. What other traits as a breeder kind of interest you? The duck foot, saw two keys. What, what other attitudes you look for? Uh, when I, out of all the seeds I've sprouted, I really like short, stocky plants. That's what I look for when I breed plants like how Mr. Nice seed plants like medicine man I think was a strain and OG nice Mr. Nice guy those those are really stocky solid plants plants that could stack mass amounts of weight without falling over needing they didn't need uh trellis net or even staking like I've grown the sour diesel where it had to be staked had to have stakes all over it to hold up the buds or the buds would just flop over with weak little stems maybe it was the way we were growing at the time but that was just the way the method we were doing it but yeah I, I didn't like that method of having to stake a bunch of plants up I liked having to select the see the plants that are stocky. OG, OG, nice. It's like original gangster and Mr. Nice was the stockiest plant I've I've seen. Where you could it was like five feet tall, and had it was like probably two pounds of plant. Just huge colas, short, stocky. So that was like what got me into growing some nice, nice strains. What would you say would be your healthiest yielding uh, plant? Probably a pound or so. I don't know. I don't grow very big plants. No, I mean out of your uh, out of your strain selection there of what you offer, what would be, you know, what you would call some of your heavier yielding strains that you offer. Uh, the bubble gum fruit would be heavy yielding. The Northern Lights bubble, heavy yielding. The bubble war goddess have heavy yielding. The blackberry bubble is pretty heavy yielding. I'm going to put my computer on the charger. Sorry about that.
Sorry about blocking the video there. I had to put my computer on the charger. It's getting low. Yeah, I'm always looking for that amazing strain that's already even like creating. It's more of like not looking now. It's creating that. So taking something I've already created and crossing it with something that's really well known or that's maybe was really good that someone's kind of undiscovered and testing out that and then breeding that into something I have and rebreeding it into one of my favorite phenos. So that's what I'm really looking for is like that magical fucking crazy strain that is just grows amazing, girthy, strong, mold resistant, flower super fast, yields heavily. That's the like the golden unicorn pheno magical phrase type thing. That's what I'm looking forward to create. That's my goal. And then create a bunch of that for the for the peoples. But what I think I have now is a bunch of good solid old school genetics that are just good solid phenos that are mold resistant that have really good terps and they're just classic old school strains. And I'm, I like the, like one of the old school strains I'm also looking for is uh classic and thunderfuck. Have you heard of that? Most That's it. Most definitely. It flowed around here for uh, some time. It's definitely a good strain. What's one of your favorite old school strains that you're like, oh, I wish, where'd that strain go? Headband. Headband is one that I don't see around here that often anymore. That's really Lavender Lavender? It has amazing turns. Oh, down the nose and the back. So, okay. Two good ones right there, right up the top. And, uh, I don't see at all around here anymore. I see some strains that have the headband in it, but uh, not too many. And I really enjoy the headband. That's the one of the profiles I don't see too often. White Rhino stands out as another good one that I don't see too often around here. That's very distinctive. What about yourself? What are some of the ones you don't see that you'd like to see brought back? there i think that alaskan thunderfuck for sure that's that alaskan thunderfuck that's that i think pine and alaskan thunderfuck that's yeah 
that's what I want to find. That's my wife's favorite strain too from back in the day. Yeah, I'm definitely a fan of the pine. You know, chasing it currently, honestly. So, yeah, that'd be a nice one. I hope you do bring that one back. Yeah, I want to find so some. Do you like? Is the pine thing in general is something that it, uh, intrigues you, or is it just something else about that strain? It's more of um, it's one of my old school favorites. So I think it's something that has medicinal effects that I could work on. That I just want to grow it. and lock down the genetics of it. But Lavender Kush, you said that's a really good one. Yeah, I definitely enjoyed that. Lavender turps, anyway, you know, in nature, are very calming. You know, I've actually, my daughter, at one point, was mixing, uh, she was going out with a this dude that was kind of herbal medicine, kind of lenient, we'll say. And they uh, were putting dried lavender in uh, some of their cannabis that they were smoking for uh, flavor and, you know, medicinal flat, calming effect. And that lavender kush had that naturally in the cannabis. You know, it smelled like that and all the way through, you know, offered that turf. Definitely. You guys have a cloner's market in uh, Michigan to like open for for caregivers to sell to have a cloner's markets and stuff. They are definitely out there. As far as the legality, I think the caregivers are allowed to sell to other caregivers, or at least at one point, I know we're allowed to sell to license facilities clothes are used to so again green market changes so fast but there's events like you know uh, gene traders that was like last weekend where you know they basically run into place and everybody brought and sold clones and traded all that good shit so there's definitely a lot of genetics being swapped and moved here in Michigan for sure. I know they can, uh, it's, they can definitely sell them storefront now. Well, actually, the local guy that started one, of, uh, there's two grows or uh, two grow stores around me. One of them turned into a local grow, turned into a provisioning center and then eventually closed down the grow supply store and just sold, opened up a clone somewhere. That's all they did was sell clones, which seemed kind of uh, tough. It seemed like a tough market to, to the public. People coming and going all the time. It seemed like a dark to be 
offer bug free clones at that way he's running that. We used to have a cloners market before the recreational market, and there was always there's always people coming and going. Clones, clones, clones galore. It was just like the freaking clone shop. I don't see that kind of market where we're at though. To keep us still front like that. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. He hasn't opened doors yet. I wish him the best, so not, not hoping for it, but I just, you know, I, as a, if that's the only thing you're doing, it seems like a tough niche, you know, to have as a storefront. Unless you just yeah. already had the extra space. You know what I'm saying? So it's recreational there in Michigan. Yeah, well. we have the rec and the medical still. Yeah. It's a it's an unfair system, I can tell you that. It's an unfair system. The recreational side, as long as you're able to uh, prove that you've grown and produced whatever on the rec side, you're basically allowed to keep anything you're able to harvest. So as a rec grower, you're allowed 12 plants recreationally. If you're able to produce, and these are all just blown, overblown hypothetical numbers. You know what I'm saying? You're able to produce, you know, 12 pounds from them 12 plants. As long as that 12 pounds is kept in your recreational grow area, and you can show basically, you know, yeah, that's my recreational grow. You're legally able to keep 12 pounds over there. But that's awesome. You can't, yeah, yeah. It is. But this is where the fuckery comes in, my friend. You come marching over to the medical girl, somebody like myself, where legally with all the patients that I'm carded to, I could have 72 plants. But they say that at any one time, I'm only supposed to have 15 Usable ounces. <laughs> See what I'm saying? And it's medicine. It's medicine. We go trample over into the right side. You can bathe in it. You can yeah. eat it. But don't you fucking turn that shit into medicine. Basically. Weird. Isn't it? Isn't that a kind of um, fucked up That's thing? I think it is. Confusing. Yeah. When pretty much it was a killer record or medical scene a few years back, cloners markets all over the place, farmers markets. You just show your license and come in. Big farmers markets, people selling all sorts of stuff, clones and edibles, everything it was freaking amazing. And then uh, when recreational came through, they shut everything down. 
just recreational stores and you can get your discount in there. You get a little bit of discount for um, being a medical patient. You get a license to grow and that's it. Yep. They just, there's no, no mixing, no recreational and medical. It's just all, everything's recreational and patients have their own little rights. I think they're trying to bamboozle us a little bit with the recreational cannabis, but just for the just because, as I've already stated, it's already kind of happening. You know what I mean? Think of it as recreational. You can have unlimited. Well, medicine, it's a different story. So if they can get everybody on the recreational side of things, yeah, everybody can smoke. Yeah, everybody can smoke. Then the next thing you know, once you get everybody on, you both recreational through. Then all you got to do is take out the the home drug. You know what I mean? Yeah, you're just going to have to buy it through fucking Marlboro or whatever. But you can't, you can have it, but you can't have it at home. But if we keep it towards the medical side, which medicals push this thing forward all the long way, mm-hmm. we're, yeah. you know, we're saying this is our medicine. You know, we got to be, we want to be able to grow mm-hmm. our medicine. We want to write to it grow our medicine. It is a community's medicine. medicine. To where, yeah, to where that, you know, that right there plants is going to fall to waste with the recreational side of things. Just as I was kind of pointing out with alcohol, you know, you used to be able to brew and then fucking as it became more and more of a big business, they were like, yeah, you can't do that at home anymore. You know what I mean? Yeah, we, we got that. You can buy it from us. You can't do that at home. But that's what's going to happen with the recreational as they push that through. It's going to be like, yeah, more and more, you ain't going to be able to do that at home. But as a medicine, we'll be able to have the right to keep growing. I don't think people realize that. You know, I think we all need to realize that uh, we have we have that right to grow. If you're not already growing, you you can figure out a way to grow figure out to go to the doctors, get to pay whatever, hundred bucks, get a license just to get your paperwork in order. But most people could find their way or get their right to grow. Hopefully they deserve the right to grow um, their medicine and, and have it. Or And there's people I know who grow that don't even use it. They grow for their, family member that needs the medicine and that's pretty awesome too and uh yeah everyone should have that capability it shouldn't be left up into the corporate hands because they'll just end up destroying it i think uh the more it became recreational the harder i grew the more i the more I produce for myself and my friends and family that I wanted to not ever want to go to the store. It was, it was fine to like, okay, cool. Go to the farmer's market and buy from like a local farmer and like check his stuff out, whatnot. I felt like I was supporting the community. 
But now when it's recreational, that's like a 50% tax or whatever it is, it feels like it's just, it's not a, the money's going to the property owner that's getting this huge cut, this huge corporation. And yeah, there's people who work at the store, but yeah, I don't hardly go to the recreational shops because it's so expensive compared to growing it. And it seems like it seems like the buds almost bounced. It's like they bounced it and knocked all the THC crystals off. Is what it feels like. They're at the recreational shops. I've had people. I've had my buddies that like give me something they got from the store to be like, "Hey, try this out. It's really good." And I look at it compared to what I grow, and then all the THC crystals are like falling off or shooken off or something. Like it's just fiber. It's re- it's weird. I wonder if that's what they do. Yeah, I'm never happy with what I go when I get at the shops. I just don't, I don't go there because I like to make it myself. I feel like it's my responsibility to make it. So uh, do you have an early schedule tomorrow? How are we doing, man? We're almost three and a half hours in, if you can believe it. Yeah, it's a good night. (laughs) (laughs) I always wondered how, I thought your shows were amazing, how long they could go for. I was like, I'd never be able to be on for that long. I never be able done to a pretty to good job so far. You've done a great job so far, that's for sure. Thank you. Yeah, I'm pleased to be on your show, man. I'm really excited to uh, tune in and see all your cool shows. Everyone, I like, uh, sometimes I get addicted to the internet, checking out all the the things, the podcasts and and uh but yeah i really enjoy your show and appreciate you having me on well i'm in no way uh cutting you short that's for sure but uh have you have you been able to watch a few of the shows before you coming on do you know how uh how it all works you know you coming on and uh the spotlights Slash, uh, wormhole thing works. Yep. Yeah, it was really fun. Well, of course, now that uh, you've done this portion, the spotlight of the episode, uh, hopefully you do keep the Zoom invitation because that invitation works for uh, what we call now is the wormhole, which is more of the panel show. You know, you have to be a past guest to jump into the wormhole. So, right you, on. you've done achieve that. So, anytime that you see a wormhole, you you know you're invited to come back at your leisure and pop on, smoke, and just hang out, basically. So, hopefully, you take me up on that as well at any point. Monday yeah, nights for- are always guaranteed rabbit holes. The Monday night rabbit holes usually fire up at 2 a.m. Uh, my time, 
uh, Eastern Standard Time. No, yeah, yeah, Eastern Standard Time. And then, uh, then uh, any other nights that if there's a guest that doesn't show, there's uh, of course wormholes are those nights as well. Or if guest goes short, there's also that's where the wormhole picks up as well and kind of walks the night through the rest of the 420 hour. Uh, but you're always welcome now that you've done this to pop in on any of those occasions. And I hopefully you do uh, find time to pop in on some of those. Thank you. I appreciate it. I'd love to join in, be involved with the wormhole. Thank you, Eagle. Thanks for having me on and be able to chat with you, man. Appreciate it. Oh, man. Thank you for coming on and telling us about yourself, your breeding projects, your passion about this plant, and, uh, you know, what you have in the future, man. I greatly, greatly appreciate you uh, for telling us, letting us in on your life, your program there, and but, you know, helping us as a community you know, have another hangout night. You know what I mean? It, it's only a guest like yourself that uh, help these nights go by night after night. You know what I mean? So thank you. It isn't easy to keep people coming in here night after night after night. So, you know, I, I got to give you a shout out for coming and hanging out for three and a half hours. When I got, when I got you on, you know, First thing, you know, I thank you for your time. It is something that's very precious, man. In these day and age, man, it just seems to fucking blow by. You know what I mean? The days actually are blowing by. Just at the end of each day, you go, man, I wish I, wish I had more time. <laughs> I just wish I had a little bit more time today. But you were nice enough to donate three and a half hours of your busy day where most of us are wishing we had more time. You donated. So so that's pretty amazing of you, my friend. Happy Easter to everyone and much love to the cannabis community. Please check me out at phenomenalgenetics.net and have a great night, Eagle. And thanks for inviting me on. I appreciate it. I'll come on on the wormhole later sometime. One, one, uh, one thing before you go, can't get out that easy. You do, I do first and foremost want you to plug that Instagram, your YouTube if you have one, of course your website, and then I'd like to get the soundbite from you. Hopefully you know what the soundbite consists of, uh, but we got to get that from you as well before you go. Yep. Thanks for tuning in to Eagle Gardens. (laughs) Can we get a repeat? I don't want to. I don't want to be messing up your shout out. Ready? Anytime now. Here we go. Clean, clean cut here. All right, guys. Thanks for tuning in to Eagle Gardens, and uh, this is Phenomenal Genetics. You can find me on Phenomenal Genetics three. On Instagram, our phenomenalgenetics.net is the web page. And uh, 
shout out to all the people making seeds out there and all the people growing cannabis for the whole community. Much love to everyone. Thank you, man. It's been an awesome night hanging out, and I'm looking forward to seeing you pop into a future wormhole. Uh, don't be shy. I think you have handed out that that invitation to 360 people now, and I don't feel enough people will take me up on that. Hopefully, you will not be one of those ones that don't take me up on it. So hopefully, I will see you in the future, my friend very soon all right good night eagle good night you have a great night and thanks again my friend thank you happy easter happy easter for the rest of you thank you very much for hanging out i had a lot of fun meeting this gentleman and hopefully you will give him a follow on instagram there you go And check out the website. Hopefully pick up some of those genetics we've been talking about all night long. Hopefully those of you that don't follow over into the wormhole have an amazing night, get some rest. But hopefully the rest of you are just going to follow along to the wormhole. Hopefully I'll see you guys in a few. You guys know the routine. Please do something nice for somebody. Random acts of kindness do save lives. Living and breathing example of that. I'll see you guys in a few in the wormhole. Thank you again, Phenomenal Genetics, Paul, and the rest of you guys for tuning in. I'll see you guys in a few. Thank you guys.